like a vegan rock steady. You should have never got me started in this wrestling game. Now you're dearly departed. That's the heart. A wrestler coming off like this. One that's lyrically inclined with a mic in his fist. It's a savage man with a master plan. I got you waving your hands saying, Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 20, covering January 2004 in TNA history. I'm Garrett Kidney, I'm joined as always by Mouthman himself, Liam Jones. Liam, how are you? I am the Mouthman. Because your mouth exploded. It's true, for the most part. I was thinking about it, because we recorded the watch-along all fine and dandy, and then overnight your mouth exploded, so I was thinking about what about the watch-along caused your mouth to explode? (laughs) I think I did tell you, like, as we, as we, like, were getting off Skype, that I was like, hey, my, my jaw hurts. So, like, when you watch the Eric Watts-Don Callis match, which you were very excited about, or, perhaps, when you realize that the Kurt Angle theme song is actually Hamilton. <laughs> Could have been it. You were also very excited about. Either moments were pivotal in uh, my condition worsening, so. Who knows? Causing your mouth to explode and delaying the recording of this episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the poor folks have been waiting. They're like, what happened in January 2004? We don't know. <laughs> There's no other way of knowing. They've never heard of Cage Match, Wikipedia, or Impact Plus. There's just no way of looking it up. There's no way of watching. There's no way of researching. The only way they can possibly learn what happened in January 2004 TNA is by listening to us. Yeah, and we, we failed them. Mm-hmm. But here we are, making up for our past failures with current successes. <laughs> that's that's one of those things that feels like it's... It would be on one of those live, laugh, prayer fucking <laughs> posters. That on the surface feels like deep and insightful, but really is just empty bullshit. You think about it for two seconds and you're like, wait a minute. Like Your immediate reaction was like, oh, that's that was nicely said. And then you're like, no, that's stupid. I don't think I've ever gone, oh, that was nice. I think I've always just gone, that's stupid. But also, wow. anything remotely positive, I don't think I'm, you know, going to ingest. Just never going to say nice things about me. Is that what you're saying here, Liam? Nope. Rude. But to be fair, it's not just you, it's everyone. <laughs> oh, well, that makes me feel a little bit better. You should. So are you feeling fully better now? I was yesterday. I feel a little worse today. <laughs> oh, because you have to talk to me and suddenly your body starts shutting. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like, oh, this guy, Garrett, we have an allergic reaction to him at this stage. We is my body talking to me? Yeah, you have multiple entities within yourself. Wow, that's cool. Because like your mouth operates independently of yourself, clearly. <laughs> I guess I guess technically it does. Well, technically it's my gums. Mm. The coolest moment of the whole process was at one point my gums had become so inflamed that they locked my jaw shut, and <laughs> I had to put two fingers like over my teeth and push my jaw down. And as to open my mouth, and as I was doing that, I heard everything crack and pop throughout my entire jaw. Nice. It sounded like paper tearing. That's disconcerting. Yeah. So I was telling you the, uh, the other day that every time I go to bed, I like to put my right foot on my left knee and pop my right hip because it just does that. And I find mm. it weirdly sad, like there's a weird amount of satisfaction and just going like, boop, and hearing it go click. But this seems a much more extreme example of that. Mm. Well, <laughs> no, because mine was the thing that was happening because of a specific illness. Yours is just the thing that you constantly do. Yeah, mine is just my general body falling apart due to oldness. My equivalent of that would be I have like a shoulder that I, that makes a pop if I like put my arms behind my back and 
and push my chest forward. Mm, interesting. I used to do that like every morning. Uh, my left index finger, I could just pop it in and out. I don't even think it's double jointed. It's just bad. Mm. When I was in doing my exams like three years ago. So, okay, finger, right? We got one mm-hmm. joint at the top, one in the middle, and then one like, and then at the, the knuckle, right? And I found out that if I like put my middle finger up into like some sort of a triangle and push down the flat bit next to that middle one, I got like the best pop of my knuckle in my life and I've never been able to recreate it. So now it just crunches whenever I try and do it. What, you're just bored during an exam messing with your hands? Yeah, I'd finished it. You're just sitting there, just being like, click to all of your bones? Yeah, basically. Nice. So other than your deep illness, anything else going on with you? Well, it's Easter. Ah, yes. I've already eaten one Easter egg. It was a Lindt white chocolate Easter egg. It was quite nice. I haven't eaten any. Yeah, it's Easter Sunday. Uh, the real Easter. And I've done nothing. And seen no one. <laughs> I, I am in isolation but it has nothing to do with COVID. I assume you're sitting here with a crown of barbed wire thorns. Yes. Ah, yes. Disrespecting Jesus himself. God forbid. (laughs) I see what you did there. Yeah. I didn't even realize that it was a Jesus thing. (laughs) The the crown of thorns you didn't understand? Like, when I saw it, I was just like, oh, he's putting barbed wire on his head. I I was honestly more concerned with the fact that I thought it was going to fall off his head. Mm, I don't think it was a Jesus thing. Maybe it was. Who knows? I mean, I think... Is, are people just equating it to a Jesus thing because Adam Cole looks like Jesus? Well, no, because I think it's just because it happened on Good Friday more than anything else. Yeah, but, like, if it had have happened to FTR Bold, do you think people would have made the same thing? But, like, it's a long-haired, brown-haired guy with uh, brown facial hair, like, who looks like Western Jesus. Maybe? I don't know. I think it's I, it's just that it happened on Good Friday. I think if it happened to FDR Bald on Good Friday, people would probably throw a fuss over it. I feel like it'd be lesser, but just because the image is not as, sure. you know, one-to-one. And, like, people are mad about that. And it's like, two days before, MGF was like, I'm the devil, bitch. It's like, no one gave a shit when that was happening. I don't think people are mad about it, honestly. Are you saying that there is bad faith arguments about AEW? I am perhaps suggesting that people are pretending to be outraged so that they can just use it as a stick to beat a wrestling company they don't like with and they actually don't really care. Because, Liam, tell me how it's offensive. Um, it's not. Like, that's the thing. People are like, oh, this is disrespecting religion. And I'm like, well, how? How is it disrespectful other than it's a reference to it? Every Yeah, if anything, it's referencing it. <laughs> that's Just to, inher- to reference something doesn't mean you're inherently disrespecting it. Yeah. It's like, in what way can you tell me is this disrespectful? But also, I don't care. Regardless, even if it was disrespectful. Wouldn't care. Mm, people are stupid. I guess we should talk about the draft, Liam. No. Uh, the man is, who has lost the draft has suddenly gone silent. You and your army of bots voting. So last week we posted our 2003 TNA draft to Patreon. We drafted our rosters. We put together our shows. We put the poll out there. 92 votes. voted for me, 42.4% voted for Liam. I am, for the second year in a row, the winner of the You've Got to Be Getting Me draft. Well, at least it's nice to know that 42.4% of our audience has taste. Oh yeah, they they didn't want a Mike Awesome against the Biss Monsters Ball match. That's just terrible. Yeah. Or a Rock and Roll Express against AMW Dream match. Or a Road Warriors against Mike Barton and Perry Saturn. A Loki against Amazing Red match, a Vampiro against Sting match. You are just jealous of our audience's good taste, I'll have you know. It's because you didn't draft Eric Watts. You were trying too hard, you didn't draft Eric Watts, and the audience punished you for it. I got nothing. (laughs) 
So if you want, next year we can leave the poll to patrons only so that the, the, you, you, I can just demonstrably prove I'm better than your drafting. Don't patronize me by changing the rules. You fuck. It was like, it was like a 6% difference. All right. It wasn't big. Well, there's 15 in the end, but I guess that's a 7.5% swing. God forbid I was 1% off in my random guess. Still, I'm I'm the Draft King, second year in a row. Thank you, everybody, for your votes. I, I, I'm proud to represent you as the marquee drafter of, of the You've Got to Be Kidding Me podcast. Stop the steal. That upsets Liam Morden, it probably should, because he loves drafting Morden pretty much anything. It's not true. How many drafts have you engaged in in the last, like, two weeks? <laughs> Three. Well, there you go. <laughs> and you did win one of them, to be fair. Yeah. I, I'm currently in the middle of a draft. It's going to take, like, three months. And there's Liam being like, I don't love drafting. Oh. Uh, did you? I hope you know that I'm one of the people up in the bidding war for the draft that I'm currently in today is Adam Cole. And I feel like that's disrespectful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you should let the other person have them for a, a dramatically inflated fee, just as respect to Jesus. Tell you what, it is dramatically inflated. <laughs> Do you want him that badly? I don't want him that bad. I didn't put a bet on him. I mean, I didn't put a submit. I didn't submit an offer. Do people want him that badly? Apparently so. Good God. He's not the most, like, wanted person so far. I don't hate Adam Cole, but I do get every criticism of Adam Cole. I like Adam Cole. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about this current. I just don't think this current Adam Cole hangman page thing was very my thing. Mm. I don't think it was anybody's thing, frankly. Mm. But I did like, I mean, I, you know, I like them both separately. I like the super click stuff the most, to be honest, so far. You want your drama. Your elite family drama. Mm. I'm sure that'll be gearing up over the next couple months. So I won the draft. Our, our other note, uh, of course, we've had a very good month on Patreon so far. We've added more patrons, I think, than we ever have. We are at a record number of patrons. So again, I just want to say thank you for that. Everyone that went to patreon.com slash me or tnhad.com over the last month because we uploaded the draft, we uploaded the latest episode of Rain Takers, the latest episode of Rinka King, and our 2003 TNA end of year awards. And a lot of people subscribed to, to get access to that stuff. So thank you, of course. And a note on Patreon, we did recently add ads to this show because we reached a tier of listenership that allowed us to add, I think, pre-roll and some mid-roll ads. So... I think it's very important that anybody that does give us money should get an ad-free version of the show. I think that's only fair, because realistically, ads are so we can make some money off the, uh, the like 20-plus hours of work that goes into each episode of the show. But if you do give us money, you should get an ad-free version of the show. So from now on, with the show notes on Patreon, there will be an ad-free version of the show that will be uploaded as an audio file that will go into the Patreon-exclusive RSS feed, and it will have the show notes attached to it as a description, so that if you do subscribe at any tier on Patreon, the $1 tier, $5 tier, or $10 tier, you will get a, an ad-free version of the show in that feed. I think that is only fair and decent. And otherwise, ad support the show, so you should, you should be happy for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got the donate thing. They keep telling us to pimp out the donate thing. I like the way Liam, like, Liam's like, yeah, they keep telling us to, to, to tell you in to send us money. In that it gets brought up and I get reminded, hey, there's a donate thing. <laughs> yeah, voices wrestling slash donate if you would like to give us a one-off donation to the show. And... Uh, that would be nice of you. Though, of course, Patreon's there too if you would like c content in exchange for money. I want to add a Patreon tier that's 200 grand a month. And for that, I'll say your name. 
<laughs> Liam is very generous with these Patreon tiers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you're like, ooh, ads, I don't like those, but I give you money on Patreon with the show notes, a natural version of the show. We should do it so it's like, for the $1 feed, you get like 20% less ads. Then for the $5 feed, you get like 50% less ads. Then the $10 feed, you get zero ads. This is the cynical monetization I'm saving you from, people. That Liam is like, oh, well, let's let's leech them for everything they're worth. And I'm like, no, it's only fair that anybody that even gives us $1 should get an ad-free version of the show. Basically freeloaders. <laughs> so that is our, our bits and bobs before we start recording. Last time, I was like, oh, and we're close to 1,000 followers. And then you were like, no, we're not. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, and I don't know. I forgot how to do an Irish accent. And then, um... Now we actually are. <laughs> you did a vague one mocking me earlier about getting Tanahashi and, and Mox wrong. <laughs> oh, Tanahashi and Mox. There you go. Yeah, you threw that one out. You know, every time I do it, I bob my head left and right. <laughs> like I'm a cartoon character. You are a cartoon freaking leprechaun going, Oh, diddly eye, I'm from Ireland. Snakes in the back. We are currently at 963 followers. At this current rate, we should reach 100 by the next episode. 100? We're going to lose 863? Yeah, we're actually going to... There are people that are going to run away from us. because <laughs> no, they're going to do one of those Twitter bot scans. It is funny. When we did mention it on the podcast, we went like a week of just losing followers. Yeah, they were like, how you want to make it to 1k? <laughs> no way. Which I think may, might have been one of Twitter's like routine clearing out bots. Because no one could possibly unfollow us. People love us. I It, it shocks me. So Liam once again wants you to go follow the Twitter at TNA History Pod just so he can hit an arbitrary number that makes him feel good. Which is all that social media is, so there you go. I was gonna say, yeah, wait a single me out for the whole concept of social media. The backbone of social media is arbitrary numbers that make us feel good. Mm. So that's it, that's the, that's all the housekeeping and introductory notes. What have you been doing, Garrett? You didn't say anything about your life. I, I have not been ill. I, I went to see Sonic yesterday. Are you sure you're not ill? Not more or less than I usually am. Hmm. Sonic's better than the first movie. I didn't actually much care for the first movie, and I think the second movie is actually pretty good. I didn't see the first movie. Hater of Sonic the Hedgehog over here. Indifference to Sonic the Hedgehog over here. Have you ever played a Sonic game? Yes, I played a bunch of them. What's your favorite Sonic game? Oh god, I don't remember the names, Garrett. There's Sonic 1, there's (laughs) Sonic 2, there's Sonic 3. I honestly don't remember. There's Sonic the Hedgehog, which is the 2006 remake. Well, not remake, reboot. It was a handheld Sonic game. Sonic Generations and Nintendo 3DS? Maybe? No. Maybe. I think it was on PS2. Sonic Generations on PS3? No. I said handheld. (laughs) Sonic Colors on the Nintendo DS? It was not Sonic Colors, but it was the one that came around at the same time as Sonic Colors. The Sonic Advance games on GBA? Sure. I also played one of the, like console ones that was like the 3d ones sonic boom on wii yes. u it's a great game what was that was that team one it was like the the one where it was like a 3d world roaming about one and it was like you pick the three characters and you swap between them sonic heroes yeah i played sonic heroes i know too much about sonic for a series i don't particularly like yeah, i was gonna say you don't even like sonic i don't i think most of the games are bad my favorite sonic game is probably sonic lost world on wii u i think that game was cool sonic Sonic's, this podcast is sponsored by Sonic 2. Sure, if, if, if Paramount would like to give us some money to, to promote Sonic, I'll certainly take it. I'll just do it for a Paramount Plus subscription. Well, it's not available in Australia. It is, so. Is it? Yeah. 
Wow, it's not available here. There's a problem. Maybe it is, and I just have never went to Paramount Plus. It came out like four months ago. Mm, maybe it has been available here the entire time, and I've just never bothered to look into whether Paramount Plus is available over here. I just assume it's not because it's a US streaming service. Hmm. All right, that's enough nonsense. That brings us to our notes, the news notes for the month. That's enough nonsense. Let's get into the NWA TNA. Yeah, the, the serious matter at hand that is NWA TNA. The, the sports-like product. There is at least one Major League Sports star on the show this month, so... Johnny Fairplay. Survivor is a sport. Survivor is a sport. Survivor requires more brains than most sports do. And leaves you with more brains than most sports do. That's also true. TNA sources say the negotiations with WGN, which if you remember last month we mentioned were basically close to being done, are ongoing. Panday officials are considering the idea of going with a half-hour time slot rather than a full hour in an attempt to cut their programming fees in half. TNA officials have yet to officially address the WGN rumors via a wrestler meeting, but both Dixie Carter and Jeff Jarrett have mentioned it during one-on-one conversations with wrestlers. Given the Iggy to the people they like. Ah, yeah, just scoops, one-on-one scoops. It's funny, we, we've gone to the, the same old story in TNA where it's like, last month this thing was guaranteed happening to the degree that they started teasing it on the television show with Jeff Jarrett's big announcement, which that big announcement technically ended up being Johnny Fairplay, <laughs> following through the story thread. Yeah, something so big that it will change the face of the wrestling world, Johnny Fairplay. That's true, I can't deny it. But here we are in January where we realize this WGN deal may not be happening. So another note, if a deal with WG if a deal with WGN was reached if a deal with WGN has been reached, it's news to members of the office staff. That said, most sources believe in terms of the deal. That said, most services this is what I get for waking up. This is, You dragged me on early. I, 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 I got up 30 minutes early so I could wake up, but then you still dragged me on early because you're too impatient and bored. If a deal with WGN has been reached, it's news to members of the office staff. That said, most sources believe the terms of the deal have been set and that's it. that it's a matter of... It's <laughs> 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 just a matter Smug. of DNA messenger deciding whether they want to sign off on it. One of the strengths of the deal is that WGN is letting TNA keep all of the commercial time. That means TNA would have to sell their own ads, but there are said to be several deals already in place with potential advertisers. I am so glad you fucked that up because you would have been so smug if you didn't. In my head the whole time I was going, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't... Which is probably why I did because I was too busy focusing on not fucking up. So yeah, later in the month from the Wrestling Observer, there has been little to no talk of late regarding the WGN deal. We're told it's neither dead nor imminent. It is in stasis. I do know fans have written WGN in support of them picking up the show, have been told by the station PR specifically, it's not going to happen. The only reason I wouldn't say it's dead, again, this is the I here is Dave Meltzer. Dave writes in the first person a lot more than PW Torch do. They always write in third person. The only reason I wouldn't say it's dead is because the idea was to buy it as paid programming as opposed to the show they were picking up. And also in the 90s, when we got word from WCW that they were getting WGN in six months, the next six months saw WGN deny it. But eventually it actually happened. Of course, we know this deal never came through. They never came to fruition. They would buy time eventually on Fox Sports later in the summer. But this WGN deal, which was a done deal, def- definitely happening at the end of 2003, is now by the end of January 2004, off the table. And thus begins our company lifelong relationship with television and getting time slots and not having time slots and it getting all thrown about. I don't think there's been a company with a more tumultuous television history than TNA. And I don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to mention TNA negotiating with WGN in particular. Hmm. 
which was regularly a name that popped up every time TNA were trying to get TV. It was always like, oh, what about WGN? Huh? What about them? But will they, won't they? So they should really stop teasing and announcing things like this when before they have deals signed and in place. They have not learned their lesson, Liam. Yeah, but it's funnier this way, so hey. Uh, maybe the biggest news note of the month. NWA TNA announced on its January 14th pay-per-view that Johnny Fairplay, real name John Dalton. Kayfabe! No, oh, still rooting the fact that his name is not actually Johnny Fairplay. Shoot Fairplay, trash. Was debuting for the promotion on its January 21st show. Fairplay, who made a national name for himself on the top-rated broadcast network show Survivor, had signed the, with TNA just that evening after some final haggling over contractual details. The Dalton deal wasn't actually finalized until 7.30pm the night of the show, so it's the classic TNA get the announcement over the line to the last minute and announce it on the show. But that one I can kind of understand, because like it reads this way, but it could have just been like pen to paper on the day. Like Everything else has actually been worked out, but we just need you in person. No, apparently there were some like details that... <laughs> Fairplay was playing somewhat hardball, wanting money, and then Dixie was just like, give him what he wants. Hell yeah, Dixie. She wants her reality show stars all over her NWA TNA, baby. And to get followed on Twitter. That's true. <laughs> Surprised you didn't do the follow me on Twitter. I don't think I have it in me. How familiar are you with Survivor? I've seen the show. Uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with, like, the famous heels and baby faces of Survivor, but I know, like... That there is a certain celebrity that comes with Survivor. I know the general gist of Survivor because I have seen it. Um, that's about it, really. Yeah, I, I consider myself, at least back in the day, a Survivor fan. It was one of the few shows that aired on our, our Irish language station over here, TG Carr. So all of the interstitials were translated into Irish. So anytime I watched Survivor from the US, all of like the previously on Survivor and all that, and all of like the recaps would be in English, of course. And I'd be like, no, it's supposed to be in Irish. Can you say previously on Survivor in Irish? We've air Survivor. That's pretty sick. I think that's it. Someone will correct me on that. <laughs> a better Irish will. Oh, definitely. But uh, yeah, I would have watched a bunch of Survivor through the years, many, many seasons of it. I like Survivor. I think it's a really good show in a pretty timeless format, which is the reason it is still around today after 20 odd years. A lot of those reality TV shows have burned out and gone away. You don't really see the real world anymore. Even if I probably check the Wikipedia page, it's probably still airing somewhere. But you don't hear a word about it. As opposed to Survivor, which still, you know, gets a network TV spot. It's still going pretty strong. And this was during, like, the heyday of Survivor. And Johnny Fairplay was a very, very famous villain on Survivor for a very good reason. In that he faked the death of his grandmother on Survivor for sympathy. That rules. And it's funny. It was a long play, too. Because the way they did it was, like, every season on Survivor after the merge, which is, like, a little over halfway through the show... They bring people's family members in for a nice little family reunion. But they do it every year. It's all it's always halfway through the show, like maybe three quarters of the way through the show, that they bring all those family members in for the reunion. So, like, he put this scheme in place hoping he would get this far. Like, that's a long con. It's not just a regular con. And then, like, he had to have faith in his friend, like, being willing to commit to the bit to, like, actually go on the show and portray this. Because mm. if, if you actually watch the clip, his friend is, it comes on like little tentatively. I could th I think you could see it in the friend's face that there's a little bit of like, are we actually doing this? And then like Johnny Fairplay is like, how's grandma? And then he's like, she's dead. 
and then it's a big sad moment and the entire crux of it is so that he gets to meet with his friend and have a, like a, a lavish meal and and a day away from like the the horrors at camp and probably has to vote on who gets that who gets to go away with their family member and have like a meal away and a proper day away and all of them are like his grandma died he needs to know the details. I love the one woman who was like I don't believe him <laughs> yeah fuck this dude she rules. I was, like, a big fan of her. And, like, the one who was, like, so hook, line, and sinker on it, too. And she's like, he lost his grandmother. Oh, uh, it's, like, literally, I, I, I hope the person who was, like, no, he's fucking bullshitting. It, like, did the biggest victory lap of all time after that. Yeah, 100%. I hope she did, like, many an interview. Uh, yeah, it turns out that, like, after that segment happened, like, after they recorded it, like, the Survivor crew called the, the Johnny Fairplay's family, being like, oh, is there any way we can help? And his grandmother answered the phone. I have no problem with this. Listen, it's a dopey reality show. Go all in. If you're going to be the bad guy, go all in on being the bad guy. I admire someone having the dedication to be this much of a bad guy. It is, like, some sensational TV villainry. Like, th this is good stuff. I want more of this. So Fairplay will debut playing a similar character to that he orchestrated for Survivor. It must be noted, Fairplay came from wrestling first. Fairplay was trained as an indie wrestler in the late 90s. He was Roddy Piper's personal assistant, which we'll talk about more in a second, because they have a, a tumultuous relationship together. This blows my mind, by the way. Weaving into a story that, what, Johnny Fairplay learned from wrestling to go on and be a, a, an over-the-top heel on Survivor? Well, you gotta imagine, like, the, how it blew my mind when he was, like, working stuff in the ring and I was like holy shit Johnny Fairplay they had a lot of faith in this guy to go out there and take this shit and yeah they've worked you on multiple levels then this is like Survivor all over again mm. so he'll play a brash unedited punk who thinks the world is his oyster and will do anything to advance Fairplay and Jared had only talked once at the time of his signing and his role hadn't been specified yet there is skepticism within the locker room that he deserves what is likely a better financial deal than any of the wrestlers taking bumps for TNA each week TNA is banking on Fairplay helping to draw pay-per-view buys and in general make the programs more entertaining. The deal is rumoured to be for one year, which means TNA is committed to Fairplay as more than just a celebrity novelty act making a handful of appearances. The Fairplay signing was written up in next week's National Enquirer. Other media entities have been sent press releases. TNA is hoping for a barrage of media mentions from signing Survivor's biggest villain probably up until that point, or at least one of them. What are other famous Survivor villains? Oh, there's the dude. I can't remember names. I'm terrible for names. Well, tell me their bits. That's what I care about more anyway. There's Richard Hatch, who went to jail after Survivor. What did he do? I think it was just some general tax fraud and tax evasion. I don't care. I want to see, like, what did they do on the shows that made them bad guys? What beats? I faked my grandmother's death for sympathy. Nothing. Nothing beats I faked my grandma's death for sympathy. Well, then, clearly this is the peak. There's probably, like, better Survivor heels in terms of people being conniving. But in terms of, like, general schemes, there's nothing on this level. Because it's, it's usually, like, you told me one thing and then you betrayed me. That's, like, usually the level of Survivor villainry. Mm. There's not usually, I faked my grandmother's death for sympathy to get one reward and hope I could, that carries me all the way through to the rest of the show, and it didn't. And that's that's a level of survivor villainry that is like leaps and bounds about. That is the outwit outplay outlast to a whole new level. Mm, I like it. So they were hoping to get a ton of media attention. They didn't. They got that National Enquirer release first, and there were some like media mentions. And Johnny Fairplay did Man Cow as well, so there, there it was mentioned there. But other than that, it kind of just flew under the radar and didn't really achieve anything. The fuck is a Man Cow? 
He's a radio host. He was relatively famous. He probably still is around and relatively famous. So that's what I find with a lot of these radio hosts. I'm like, oh, they were famous like 20 years ago. Thought this was a 90s WF gimmick. Man cow, the man cow. <laughs> it's the, the the Minotaur's son, the man cow. Yeah. So they were hoping for a bunch of media appearances that did not come. They were hoping to get on Stern, but that didn't happen. And they just were left with Johnny Fairplay. God, this like relationship with Stern is so funny and how they keep trying. They desperately, desperately want to be mentioned on Howard Stern. Because, <sighs> yeah, there was that story that they wanted to do a, a puppet against... What's the name of the dude on Stern? I don't even remember. Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice, yes. A puppet against Beetlejuice program to, to cross over with Stern. Honestly, they should have, like, given him whatever he wanted for that deal. I said it at the time and I'll say it now. That probably would have, like, given them a bump that they would have be- hopefully been able to actually keep. They should have booked Stern against Johnny Fairplay. <laughs> yes. The bulk of the locker room reaction to Fairplay's presence when he did show up was favourable. He seemed like a fan and didn't want to get any heat with the boys, said one wrestler. Another wrestler who was aware of Fairplay's reputation said he was also surprised by Fairplay. The quote, I was ready to slap him before I even met him, but he was very nice to everyone in the locker room. Wrestlers also say Fairplay was wise enough to introduce himself to everyone in the locker room rather than wait for them to approach him. Fairplay was said to appear somewhat intimidated prior to the show and came away very happy with his first performance. And they're like, wow, how did this guy who trained to be a wrestler know the rules of being a wrestler? Yeah, this dude who came up in the indies and promoted some shows. He was, wasn't just a random indie wrestler. He even like tried to have his own company at one stage. Somehow knew how to get away with like being respected in the locker room, which is just walk around and shake some people's hands. That's apparently like that's the only thing you need to do in wrestling. I'm so like devastated. Like, listen, I don't think I ever thought it was his real name, but the fact that like I was like, oh, do they do gimmick names on Survivor? So I was like 50-50 on it, and I'm really disappointed that Johnny Fairplay wasn't the name of a guy who (laughs) faked his grandmother's death and survivor. It would have been spectacular, wouldn't it? Uh, And like, just the the wrestling ramifications from this, like, you can have a Fairplay's Industries that's about a cheating heel stable, that's perfect, come on. It is, like, we'll talk about it when we get into the shows, where I think, actually, let's do it now, let's do Johnny Fairplay now. Sure. Because he is... Two segments on the show, the first of which is his debut where he comes to the ring with Don Callis. And I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, he just did, like, sticky heel stuff. But, like, it was good. Yeah, so, like, he, he comes out with Don and, you know, he is doing the classic... It, it reminds me a lot of the AJ Styles and Vince Russo stuff when AJ first turned heel where he's doing the I'm from a civilized part of the world and this is the South. Yeah, he does, he, he does like, basic... Heel stick, but it's great. He was actually some, the only one who was like confident enough to interact with the crowd. Yeah, because we'll talk about it in a, uh, when we get further into the shows. But the, the, this is also a very heavily involved ICP month, the Insane Clown Posse. So there were a bunch of ICP fans in the crowd who would routinely chant ICP during the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't say ICP fans. If we're talking about them, we have to call them Juggalos. <laughs> I'm very, very amused to learn that you were actually a Juggalo. <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't define myself as a juggalo, but I have, I, I am familiar with the rap group ICP. Oh, so you're just going to call yourself an ICP fan then, are you? No, <laughs> yeah, there's a difference, okay? The people who are in that <laughs> crowd were above ICP fans. All right, there are a bunch of juggalos in the crowd for the ICP who were there that month, and they would routinely chant ICP during the show, which they did during this promo, uh, because Johnny Fairplay was like, I'm more famous than all the wrestlers, I'm more famous than a bunch of people he named. And they started chanting ICP, and then he turned to the crowd, and it's like, I'm sure as hell more famous than those guys. 
Which, by the way, isn't true. If everyone was like, when they fired back with, who are you? And he's just like, ask my grandma. And I was like, ooh. And again, AJ comes out because the, the first confrontation is with AJ. And again, like he, the crowd starts chanting, who are you? And he just looks at AJ and points. It's like, they're talking to you. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, it's all pretty good stuff. So yeah, he comes out, he does that promo. AJ cuts him off. They do a little brawl. He tries to hit AJ with a chair. AJ refers to him as Parrot Top. So that's a, a timely reference. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he tries to hit AJ with a chair. AJ turns about and power bombs him as hard as I think AJ Styles has ever power bombed anybody. It would look great. There was some criticism, and I kind of get it about the idea of power bombing Johnny Fairplay on the first night. That the whole idea is this guy is this heel who you want to see get his comeuppance, and AJ fucking killed him on the first night. Yeah, you you could have built to that, I'm sure. I, I'd imagine Fairplay probably part of that is him wanting to seem like one of the boys, him wanting to seem like he's not above this. So he's like, yeah, I'll take a big-ass powerbomb, sure. Wants to earn his stripes. Mm. And then the second segment of the month, there was a whole thing about Brian Urlacher was there to support Don Callis in a main event match we'll talk about later. Cargo Bears linebacker and man with bad takes in recent years uh, was there. So the, the gimmick was that he was banned from the building and they wanted to kick him out so that he couldn't involve himself in the Eric Watts versus Don Callis match. And Johnny Fairplay and the redshirt security were the ones that were doing that to try and remove him and Don Callis. But as uh, things did not, go, uh, did not go well for Johnny Fairplay on this one. He took two big bumps in a row. Yeah, he sure did. So Don Callis was like, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Erlacher was like, what's the hard way? They tried to jump him. He clotheslined the redshirt security and then press slammed Johnny Fairplay from the ring to the floor onto the redshirt security. I like um, the redshirts leaving with Fairplay just strung over their back. (laughs) Yeah. And there was also a sit down interview with Mike Tanay where he was like, that's where they got into the stuff with Piper because Piper fired Fairplay as his personal assistant after Fairplay was behind the wheel of a car wreck that left Piper hospitalized a few years ago. And Piper apparently blamed him for that. He literally said he tried to kill me. I'm sure they were happy to be around each other somewhat. So yeah, they, they, they want to build potentially to a Fairplay against Piper match. Like, I don't know. That's like, there's a cool story there, I guess. But it's like, is anyone actually going to pay for this? No, no one wants, especially after he's, he's gotten his comeuppance twice. He's been freaking powerbombed to hell by AJ and press slammed by Brian Erlacher. Do I want to watch him wrestle Roddy Piper? Not a chance in hell. The way you probably do this is you have them like have a representative of each and you have him, you have uh, Johnny Fairplay escape old comeuppance and then eventually they do the whole like, you beat my guy, but your guy, you get a minute with the other guy and then boom, 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 boom. Which is what they just did with Raven and um, the suppers in the new church. So we know that they can do it. And I don't think for a second that the Johnny Fairplay against Roddy Piper, like, five-minute match or whatever, it would be nearly as good as the Raven against James Mitchell one was. No, but uh, hey, if they had built to that um that moment where Roddy lays him out. So back to Brian Urlacher for a moment. Brian Urlacher clotheslined the red shirts, press-slammed Johnny Fairplay. It all seemed relatively harmless. It caused quite a scene in Chicago sports. <laughs> Why? So, first of all, backstage note, Brian Urlacher made a good impression with the TNA wrestlers while backstage last Wednesday. Wrestlers say he was very accessible to everyone and spent time talking to anybody who approached him. He was said to be very excited about his on-air role and left the building satisfied with his performance. Sure. All well and good until later that week. So, Chicago Bears linebacker Brian Urlacher, a good friend of Eric Watts, by the way, if you were wondering why he's there, he is Eric Watts' pal. I mean, who isn't? was able to be talked into doing something physical, and TNA got more publicity than they bargained for when it turned into a Chicago sports controversy about a guy with a $56 million nine-year contract risking injuries by doing an angle. 
Do you think they were just mad because when he ran the ropes, he went neck first into the second rope? Yeah, he did nearly die when he hit the ropes. His hat fell off. He hit the ropes so badly. But he he, he recovered from it. And he hit a cool clothesline and then he hit a cool press slam. Oh, man, Chicago sports fans must just hate pro wrestling. They have fucking Brian Olacker going off with his $66 million contract and press slamming a dude. They have Dennis Rodman leaving <laughs> mid-fucking playoffs to go fuck around with Hulk Hogan and WCW. Maybe that is it. Maybe it's just like we've seen what happens when freaking Chicago sports stars get too tight with the wrestling and suddenly they abandon training to go mess around on Nitro. We don't want to happen again. And listen, this isn't the hottest topic in the world at the moment, but I did watch The Last Dance finally. <laughs> the whole time I was just like, she's get to the Dennis Rodman bit. <laughs> listen, there will be mention of Dennis Rodman on this podcast because he does make a TNA appearance. Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, in 2004 as well, so you can look forward to that. I am looking forward to that. There was a large amount of publicity in Chicago, including front-page coverage two days later in the Chicago Sun-Times, and it got a brief mention on Around the Horn, ESPN Sports Center, Pardon the Interruption, and on Aaron Brown's CNN show. Unfortunately, how much of this will help TNA is questionable, but in the situation the company is in, they have to take it as a major positive just that the name got out. In a major story in the Chicago Sun-Times, Jay Mariotti brought up Jay Williams ruining his basketball career in a motorcycle accident and Aaron Brown blowing out his knee playing pickup basketball. He noted that Erlacher never told the Bears what he was doing and he appeared in a dingy arena packed with goofball fans and threw himself into a three-minute episode of choreographed foolishness, is the direct quote. How dare he insult the Juggalos? <laughs> the ICP are coming for Chicago sports. Mm. Bears general manager Jerry Angelo made the story bigger when he said that they aren't going to make a big deal about this incident, that Erlacher would not be allowed to participate in pro wrestling from this point forward. Erlacher's contract prohibits him from participating in any activity that exposes him to a significant injury risk, considered this a violation of that, but Erlacher said he didn't think there was anything violating his contract. I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> like, they're paying this guy $56 million. Yep. And he's like, I'm gonna go press. What if he had like, what if Fairplay like didn't get upright and like he just popped his shoulder or some shit? Like, or you know, when he went neck first into the ropes, running the ropes. Imagine the trouble TNA would get in if that happened. Because like the Chicago Bears would probably have a reasonable lawsuit to hold them liable for the financial costs there. Mm. <sighs> Who knows? Mm, so controversy in the Chicago sports world because of this, this like relatively harmless looking TNA angle. I know, I don't know if anything about this angle looked harmless. I did quite enjoy that they wanted all this publicity for Johnny Fairplay and then ended up getting it for Johnny Fairplay being press slammed to be fair. I bet like it wasn't mentioned in any of those articles that it was Johnny Fairplay who was the one on the receiving end. Yeah because he's not actually that famous and by all accounts his, his like 15 minutes of fame from Survivor had already moved on because that's the way television works. Yeah. She asked Rich about this. It's like, hey, Rich, remember that time Chicago sports exploded because of Brian Harlacher and TNA? Mm, we should ask him about Johnny Fairplay, too. Everyone remembers Johnny Fairplay. Big Survivor fans, everybody. And it must be mentioned, this is not the last time we will mention a football player coming into TNA, doing something physical, and then not being allowed to do something physical. But at least they didn't make Brian Urlacher one half of the tag team champions. Although the talk of Hulk Hogan signing with TNA has died down considerably, the company is still moving forward with plans to hold a Sunday night three-hour pay-per-view. 
Most TNA officials are moving forward with the idea that Hogan has his heart set on appearing on WrestleMania 20, even though he didn't in the end, and will not work with TNA before then, and he did not work with TNA after then for another six years. Some office members are still hoping that Hogan will work with the company this summer, but most believe that Hogan was simply using TNA for leverage to use in his WrestleMania 20 negotiations with Vince McMahon. At any rate, TNA officials are still planning to hold at least one traditional Sunday night pay-per-view as early as this summer. There is some concern as to whether Sunday night events will hurt the buy rate for Wednesday shows, but TNA officials are said to be moving forward with the experiment. I don't know, I feel like at this point, you know... You offer anyone who's buying this weekly pay-per-view a bigger one on Sunday, they're probably just going to drop the money as well. Yeah, and I guess it, it probably depends on the card. If it doesn't look like something that's worthy of a like $30, $40 price tag, I think $30 is what they were aiming for. Three times the price, basically, of a weekly pay-per-view, they just won't buy it. It's, it. I don't think it's a case that's like, they'll stop buying the Wednesday shows, or they'll definitely buy this one. It's just, is it a good show worth buying? I'll buy it. Is it not? I won't. Yeah, I, that was under the assumption that they're putting their best effort forward. We'll talk about what they were planning for it in a second. One more small Hogan note for the time being. On ESPN Radio, host Joe McDonald, who was a big fan, brought up TNA. Hogan acknowledged the angle with Jeff Jarrett, said he got hurt, and tried to change the subject right away. What a pro. He was also on Kimmel that week and did not mention it at all. Shock of all shocks. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel just being like, so, uh, TNA. <laughs> Good Jimmy Kimmel impression right there. Thank you. So, NWA TNA's first foray into Sunday night three-hour pay-per-views has been rescheduled for April 4th doesn't happen again but listen they're they're trying <laughs> jeff Jarrett announced it in a wrestler meeting before the january 21st show hogan is not scheduled for the event but there is a major name planned as Jarrett's opponent in the main event the event is likely to take place in kentucky at the an army base with country singer toby keith performing i wish that was his opponent <laughs> Jarrett against toby keith is probably bigger than the actual match they plan to do <laughs> which have you read down did you see the match they plan to do i, I see a, a big glaring name Alright. This month, you may notice, if you watch the month of January 2004 TNA, you may notice the opening theme song to the show is suddenly done by the Macho Man Randy Savage. Or as I thought, literally Jay Lethal. <laughs> yeah, 2003 Hydro has jumped for Bring of Honor to, to talk about being a man in the opening titles of NWA TNA. Be a man, Hulk. So yeah, the opening theme song, there's actually two of them this month. There's the opening theme song, which they change on the first show of the month, which is a, like a remixed version of what the theme song was. It's a little more modern sounding, it's a little more upbeat. I actually quite liked it. Yeah, I like both of them. <laughs> and then they make the shift for the rest of January and most of February to the song, Are You Ready? It's spelled or you, I have to pronounce it that way. Are you ready? Rue ready? Rue ready? It's like Scooby-Doo. It's like, Rue ready? It's from Ronnie Savage's 2003 Be A Man album. It's remixed for TNA. There is new lyrics by Randy Savage where he just changes some words, basically. So uh, they did change the song to a Randy Savage theme song. It's a very strange theme song. It doesn't make much sense. I can't work out all of the lyrics. I can work out the, 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 like, the lyrics of the original version. And then the TNA version, which is just basically like copy and paste some TNA lyrics in there. I, I have no idea what he's saying. I assume you're going to recite it now for the lovely listeners. All right, so we gonna do the damn thing, so I hope you all ready. TNA's gonna rip the wrestling ring like a... I don't know what he says. It sounds like Betty, but I think it's two syllables. It rhymes with ready, I suppose. Don't know. And rock steady. You should never get me started. In this wrestling ring, y'all are you dearly departed. That's... 
a wrestler coming off like this. There's supposed to be a word in there. I can't work out what it is. One that's lyrically inclined with a mic in his fist. It's the Pretty savage good. man with the master plan. I got you waving your hands saying. Oh, did you want me to do it? <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's another female that comes in with the last line. So if you'd like to, wait, please. Wait, 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 uh, read me back in again. I got your hands. I got wait. God damn it. <laughs> I got you waving your hands. I got you waving your hands, saying, That's my jam! Thank you. Those are the lyrics. That You will have heard that in the intro, of course, because, of course, the, the intro song to this podcast is whatever the current theme song is. So you will have heard it on the intro. There will be have no quotes on the intro. I actually tried messing with putting quotes over the Randy Savage song. Did not work. So this month, no quotes in the <laughs> intro, just Randy Savage. I got you waving your hands, saying, TNA is the best professional wrestling company in the world! <laughs> uh... So yeah, Randy Savage is doing the the theme song. So that's their planned main event for the April Bound for Glory event. The April first three hour pay per view. They were planning to bring Randy Savage out of retirement to face Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. I don't think that's an awful plan. Well, Randy is not in particularly great wrestling shape these days, but it is a pay per view worthy main event. He's a name. That's all that matters. And we do come back to the idea of Randy Savage and Randy Savage against Jeff Jarrett. Later in the year. And I, I have seen that uh that clip. Of his debut and then his six-man tag team match. Mm-hmm. And the six-man tag team match being generous. It's a three-on-two handicap match that Savage shows up to at the end. Hmm. So NWATNA hopes Savage will be the marquee name that will make their three-hour pay-per-view appear to be a big deal worth the estimated $30 price tag. And it must be noted, I don't believe at any stage they announced this publicly. I think this was just announced backstage. So at least they, they learned their lesson this time. They didn't announce another hmm. pay-per-view they had to cancel. So also talk of getting Hall, Nash, and Shamrock for the show. They wanted, I think, Hall and Nash against Sting and Jared or something like that. Some combination of that for the show. And Shamrock coming back is a thing we'll talk about more in both 2004 and 2019. One run more successful than the other. Indeed. And the only other match being, that's been discussed openly for the April 4th TNA pay-per-view at this point is Roddy Piper versus Johnny Fairplay, which would be Fairplay's first match in TNA. Despite the rocky history between the two, as Fairplay discussed in detail in the recent completed Torch talk, which I haven't read, but I will uh, look into. They're both apparently open to the match since they know it's probably best for business and get publicity. Basically, they'll do anything just to work to get a payday. Fair enough. So would you buy that show, Liam, with Roddy Piper versus Johnny Fairplay and Jeff Jarrett versus Macho Man Randy Savage? Uh, no. Oh. And they did kind of blow the the, the, the one thing they were building to the uh, for the other brand for Glory was Ultimate X2, which they did this month. So maybe they'll do Ultimate X3. Probably just like, oh, let's do Ultimate X3. Yeah. And uh, we'll do the, the Triple X thing too. So Vince Russo visited the TNA offices last week and there is talk that the, a reconciliation between him and Jeff Jarrett is in the works. With Hulk Hogan apparently out of the picture, the door is open for Russo to return in some capacity. There is still some tension between Russo and Jarrett over the way Russo was sent home due to the Hogan negotiations. <laughs> there is still some tension between Russo and Jarrett over all the knives in each other's backs. But the two sides are talking again at the very least. Since he was sent home, Russo has been very outspoken when talking to friends about the creative direction of the company. Most TNA insiders are saying that Russo was also very critical of TNA's direction during his meeting, while others are downplaying those rumors by saying that while there was tension, the meeting was cordial. All sources say Russo was very open to the idea of returning to the company and most expect him to return in the near future. How that would impact Dutch Mantel's position isn't clear. Poorly, I imagine. So Vince Russo was backstage at last Wednesday's NWA TNA pay-per-view January 21st. For the first time in months, he attended the pre-show meetings and produced backstage segments. In other words, he was back. So he's basically back on creative, back to producing, and apparently instrumental in the return of Jerry Lynn. 
I guess, yeah, because Jerry Lynn didn't really like the new management. Because, like, he's been gone for, I think he said seven months on the show. And I'm like, has it really been that long since we've seen Jerry Lynn? Was it? I think it was, like, July, August was the last time. So it hasn't been quite that long. But, yeah, it's been a while since Jerry Lynn was on the show. Hmm. <laughs> Jerry Lynn also had problems with Hulk Hogan. and was like, ugh, Hogan's coming in. We have to get Jerry Lynn and Russo out of here. You see, when Hulk Hogan looks at Jerry Lynn, he sees a full head of blonde hair. Mm. Instead of just the back half of blonde hair and a bald head. So Jerry Lynn is basically a threat to what he thinks his hair should be, and he hates looking at him. You put the idea in my head of a clip of Hulk Hogan, like, where the camera is just slowly zooming into his eyes as the distorted version of Real American plays, and the and the character just begins to shake violently, and an, an image of Jerry Lynn's hair transposed appearing over the image of Hogan. He wants to do a hair versus hair match against Lynn, where he can then steal the hair and tape it onto his own head. Yeah, it's it, hair versus hair, as in the uh, they have to swap hair. Hmm. <laughs> poor Jerry. That's why he's got to win. So Russo's back. Yay! I'm happy about it. I'm legitimately happy about it. And the shows were better while Russo was here. And they were better toward the end of the month when he was back, so listen. <laughs> I'm going to make a, a, a staunch claim, Garrett. Mm-hmm. This is I, Liam, of January 2004, saying, I think we've seen the worst that Vince Russo has to offer, and that it can only go up from here. Uh, again, I will give Vince Russo credit. In that when the, the show is predominantly his creative direction, when we do get to the end of 2006-2007, it's very bad, but it is infinitely more watchable than TNA was at the end of 2003. Vince Russo does not have the worst creative period of TNA history. <laughs> Probably not, because to be fair, actually no, he does. I think he does. I think the, the, the first half of 2014 is worse than 2013. I forgot about that. But yeah, because that was the era that like killed my fandom. So we'll find out. We'll revisit that later on. But as far as like the eras that he gets the most flack for, I feel like not even the worst stuff in those eras. I think that like that first half of 2014 combines the boredom of the end of 2003 with the nonsense of Vince Russo. So you just get the worst of all aspects. It's been a long, long time since I've seen it. So, And it will be a long, long time before you have to see it again, to be fair. <laughs> True. The latest buy rate reports to get some insight into who TNA's audience are indicate that TNA does its best numbers in the Northeast. The company produced its best pay-per-view numbers in August, but the average has declined since, apparently in line with the torch ratings that they have. They were kind of bragging about that. It's like, maybe if the shows are good, the shows get good buy rates, huh? Huh? <laughs> maybe the crowd will be into it too. And the other note that the, the word coming out of creative beings is Dutch Mantel recently told the other creative staff that he believes the average TNA viewer is 40 to 50 years old and doesn't want to be confused by wrestling storylines. So the theme <laughs> is keep it simple. These stupid wrestling fans that don't understand wrestling. Nobody thinks less of wrestling fans than wrestling people and wrestling fans. 100%. Because like wrestling, I think I've done this rant before, but it's never really complicated. Like, when it's complicated, it's because it doesn't make sense. It's because mm. it's, like, badly written. But, like, I don't think there's any wrestling story that I'm like, oh, gee whiz, that's too high concept for me. Even, like, the nonsense stuff, like Lucha <laughs> Underground or the, the broken it's universe. It's too nuanced. I'm not getting the themes. Like, it's pro wrestling. Even when you do, like, delete, delete, or people coming back from the dead in Lucha Underground, it's still pretty easy to understand. I'd argue that's more easy to understand because at that point it just becomes, like, soap level. Mm, these people are stupid and I hate it. And they're constantly just trying to talk down to wrestling fans and are scared they'll run wrestling fans away with basic storytelling. 
Yeah, God forbid things like evolve or change in any way. Mm, Gabe would want that. He knew how to make things evolve. <laughs> now he's going to run his crypto promotion and everyone will be happy. That'd be dope. I hope it's just 2K22. All right, that's our news notes for the month. I once again need to pee, so fill time and I'll decide whether or not to leave it in. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure on this one. Um, I don't I don't have anything, unfortunately. I'm going to trip myself on my earphones because they fell over my thing. <laughs> oh, no, they fell over his thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. <coughs> oh, God. <coughs> oh, they decided to die. I don't know what's going on, guys. Let's talk about fun things. I'm just going to go to Twitter and just see what's on there. Uh, happy birthday to Joe Doring. Uh, that's pretty neat. That's that's it, man. There's not much else going on. I'm going to order ice cream after this. Put this ice cream. Okay, so there's this ice cream place near me. And they have these things called mega cones. And I was like apprehensive at first about the concept of buying an ice cream cone. Uh, and getting it delivered, that just seemed like out of the loop. But it got here, and it was like the consistency and just structurally like a movie ice cream cone that you would get. That just like, get it out there, it's in the plastic, take it off, and it's kind of just perfect. And the flavours on this thing. The flavours they had there, I was blown away by Because like, you know, you expect a strawberry, a chocolate, a bloody vanilla, whatever, that, whatever. But they had like, any ice cream flavour that they had for scoops they had in these mega cones and i was i was i tell you what i was blown away by this i got the mars bar flavored one it was tremendous it was a good effort and now today when i woke up because it's easter and i don't have any chocolate but i have sweets on the brain i was like this is what i need to get i need to get some of these mega cones so i'm probably going to get like a couple of them chuck some in the freezer for later or maybe just tonight who knows but just the concept of all these different flavors kind of blew my mind and i'm i'm ready to embrace the mega cones, I feel. Garrett's still gone after my mega cone rant. Rant? I was really putting over the mega cones more than anything. I wonder what Garrett's favorite mega cone would be. It strikes me as a mint guy. I'm gonna put money on mint. No, he's not talking. That means he's obviously run out of things to say. No, I was I was pondering. You caught me as I was pondering. How did you feel time? Is it worth keeping? It's just some stuff. I was just talked about mega cones. Oh no, he's also gone. No, I'm not. I'm right no, here. I have to fill time. No, I'm here! Turn about his... Oh, no, I pulled out my earphones. Yes, you fucking idiot! <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about mega cones. Uh, hey there, pal, how you doing? Yeah, well, fucking idiot. I was like, oh, you're not saying anything. I thought you had also left, and then I realized that, in fact, I had just pulled my earphones out while I was getting No, out. I was talking about ice cream. You scream? Ice cream for... You scream? We all scream for ice cream is the line, but sure, I'll allow it. Sure. You've got to be getting me is brought to you this week by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh has fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutritious meals that you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and carb-conscious options. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app, easily change your delivery day, food preferences, and plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. So if interested, go to hellofresh.com VOW16 and use code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's hellofresh.com VOW16 using the promo code VOW16. So that brings us to broad topics for the month. The first of which was Johnny Fairplay, which we've already done. The second, which is the one I kind of dread doing, which is the Watson Callis stuff. <laughs> right, let's get it out of the way. 
It's not even just it's bad, it's just because it veers in so many directions. <laughs> yeah, but once we get that done, like this is the main one, you know? Yeah, that is most of the month. Alright, let's start with the Kid Cash side of this, which is... So, Jeff Jarrett is trying to take over TNA. Along with his pal Don Callis, who is his management consultant, Jarrett wants complete control, and he wants people to declare their loyalty to him. This is a weird bit, because uh, I don't feel like there's nothing that comes of it. Like There's, there's mm-hmm. literally no reason for any of this, because... Even in the circumstances where it's like, I declare my loyalty, it's like, it's... Half of these contracts are signed in people's blood, okay? These these can't be upheld by any court of law. Yeah, the vast majority are signed under duress. I do not think they would be upheld. <laughs> I do not think they are legally viable contracts. Also, he tries to get the same person assigned like, three times. Well, to be fair, that's part of the angle on that. He does lose his contracts at one stage and has to get people to re-sign them. <laughs> I forgot about that. So Jarrett wants people to sign these loyalty oaths, these loyalty pledges, so he assigns that task to Kid Cash. He wants Mm -hmm. Kid Cash to go around the entire TNA locker room and get them to sign loyalty oaths to Jeff Jarrett. And we see it throughout. This is like one of the the famous TNA show-long angles. Yeah, and and month-long angles, frankly. (laughs) Yes, consistently. I, I did enjoy that Jarrett was like, and if you have any trouble, you got Abyss to back you up. And Kid Cash was like, Abyss? Yeah, Abyss. You got a problem with Abyss? <laughs> I like the way Jarrett doesn't even realize it's like, yes, he does have a problem with Abyss. It played out quite publicly. Yeah, and brutally. Kid Cash goes out through the, the, the show, gets people to sign. He got Sarah the ticket taker to sign during a six-man tag team match. Then he comes out and he tries to bully Tiny the Bellkeeper into signing. Poor Tiny. I love how, like, um offended... Mike Tanay and Don Cal- they're like, oh, not Tiny. He tried to bully Tiny into signing, but he was cut off by Blackshirt Securities, Chris Vaughn. This is a big Chris Vaughn segment too. Yeah, this entire month is kind of like the first kind of push of Chris Vaughn. So they go back and forth because Cash tries to bully poor Tiny into signing. And Vaughn stops them and they start wrestling a match because Rudy Charles is like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just do a match. Yeah, because no one likes Kid Cash. <laughs> That's true. It is the consistent theme through this month that, that nobody likes Kid Cash. <laughs> Not even the people he's teaming with like Kid Cash. They tolerate him. They do. They put up with Kid Cash. So we have a match between Kid Cash and Chris Vaughn. They have a better match the next week, but the, this is pretty fine. It's mostly just so Vaughn can get a little win over Kid Cash. I was watching this and it was further like me going, how do they fuck up this Chris Vaughn guy? <laughs> like the crowd's mm. into this. They want this to be like the homegrown guy. I, I don't understand what happens. I did quite enjoy Kid Cash referring to Chris Vaughn, who is taller than him, as Little Man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, listen here, Little Man, you should sign the contract. But yeah, they, they, they have a better match. I think the, the, the next match they have is, I, I think, actually a, like a good match, as opposed to this, which is more the storytelling thing that I, I also I quite enjoyed, because Chris Vaughn won via interference. Rudy Charles put his hands over his eyes as Don Harris ran out to interfere. <laughs> Yeah, it was really good stuff. He didn't even do like the, you know, I am suddenly distracted. He literally rose his hands over his eyes. And then and then peeked over multiple times to see it happening. Yeah, because he, he wants the satisfaction of Don Harris beating up Kid Cash, but he does not want to be accountable for it. Mm. So Chris Vaughn beat Kid Cash. Yeah, and um, it felt like, it felt like, woo, Chris Vaughn, let's see what they do with it. <laughs> and what they did with it was another match the next week. Ah, the TNA special. So Cash continues trying to get people to sign. Eventually, he comes out once again trying to bully Tiny into signing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a reoccurring theme here. 
but Vaughn cuts him off again, and they have an actual proper real match. And th this is where like you saw like the Vaughn fire, and he like he fired up. They had a, a like a proper match this time. Yeah, they did some cool stuff here. Um, and of course, like you know, the ton of giant moves here. You obviously gift the top rope body slam, which was crazy looking, insane. But the, my favorite part of this whole thing was like. We got like the, the. This is the most I'm gonna sign your loyalty pledge in blood that we saw, and it was great. Because <laughs> yeah, Chris Vaughn was actually busted open during the match, and I was like, "This is a weird match for Chris Vaughn to be busted open in." But then when he tried to sign the pledge in blood, I was like, "Ah, that's why he was busted open during the match." Big tiny run in. Yeah, but as you mentioned, that top row body slam, because like Ethan Page does a version of that, but he doesn't go down with the wrestler. You know, he he body slams him from the top down to the mat, which is probably smart to be fair, because that seems like a really easy way to twist an ankle or something. Yeah, it seems like a much safer way to do it. But Kid Cash, like, stood up top, body slammed Chris Vaughn, and went down with him, like a full proper body slam from the top rope to the mat. It looked sick, and then he hit him with the, uh, the moneymaker and pinned him immediately after. It was a real, like, uh, real um, awkward-looking moneymaker, too. Mm, just killing guys. He's just killing guys left, right, and center. Yeah, Kid Cash kind of rocks. I'm so glad that he's kind of, he's stuck around way longer than I thought he was going to. And, like, honestly, 2004 might be his best year because he does go into some stuff with AJ. So, like, you, you have that to look forward to in 2004. And he's, like, he's just a good mid-card heel. He's never a guy, like, I would not for a second look at this match and be like, or at Kid Cash in general, be like, he should be world champion in this company because he probably shouldn't be. Mm. But... As a dude whose mid-card heel gets heat, like this is basically the John Moxley against Wheeler Utah of TNA, if you think about it. Uh, <laughs> it actually kind of is, in terms of the guy bleeding underdog. Uh, I guess Kid Cash is more of a heel than John Moxley. Yeah, I think Kid Cash is slightly more of a heel than John Moxley. Yeah, he's just the mid-card super heel. That's who Kid Cash is, and he fill fulfills this role so well. He's a good mix of worker and uh, character guy, so yeah, he, uh, and he's um, diverse. You can put him in whatever, really. So we had a parade of run-ins afterward. Tiny stopped Kid Cash. Well, actually, no. Kid Cash did sign the contract in blood, but then Tiny made the save. Then Cash turned it around. Then Dot Harris made the save. Then the red shirts came out. And then AMW ultimately made the save to end the segment. What is this, an AEW dynamite? Just run-ins and saves and run-ins and saves. Again, AEW is just ROH, WCW, and TNA put together. So that's this is the, the run-ins and saves is the TNA influence. <laughs> There's a bunch more Kid Cash tries to get people to sign. I don't think there's much in the January 21st show. Than the, the, you know, the, he's trying to get Siaki as the main guy he's trying to sign. They, they go to a bathroom where Siaki's taking a dump. Yeah, this <laughs> is like the second time he goes for Siaki. The first time he goes and Trinity's like, I think you should sign. <laughs> yeah, so Trinity is very pro signing and aligning with Jeff Jarrett, even though she does, in the fairness, in the interest of continuity in the NWA, TNA, still hate Kid Cash. Yeah, like, a lot. Does she sign the first time that he tries? No, she signs in the bathroom one. Yes, okay. And then, um... <laughs> and then Sonny Siaki's like, what? What's happening out there? Yeah, and he's like, he's signing the contract. Siaki's like, hell no. Someone has told me not to. So someone is in Siaki's ear, apparently. Who it is, we're, we're left to wonder. I'm hoping it's Desire. So, and then he leaves, and Kakash is like, hey, Trinity, you want to sign? Trinity's like, yeah, do you have a pen? And the pen is in the bathroom stall, and Trinity's grossed out, and she signs and leaves. And then, like, Cash just, like, walks into the bathroom afterwards. Then we cut to a pre-tape immediately after that, which is basically the same thing, where it's just like, hey, Siaki, sign. No, Trinity, I've signed. And then leaves again. <laughs> yeah. So then, last show of the month, they, they do it again. <laughs> Trinity's being interviewed by Hudson. Trinity is the one who will be handcuffed to Siaki in the main event. We'll talk about that in a second. When we get to the actual uh, Callison Watt stuff, 
So Trinity's like, I've signed, but Siaki hasn't. Siaki looks to confront her, but Cash jumps from behind, handcuffs him to a locker, I guess. I think it's mm-hmm. a locker. And leaves him there for dead. As Trinity turns down, yet another Kid Cash advance. I like that Kid Cash is like a simp for her now. <laughs> like, he was a dude who was kicking the shit out of her for like three months. And now he's like, oh, please notice me, Trinity. Yeah, literally every one of these segments ends with Kid Cash being like, hey, you and me. And Trinity's like, fuck no. He's like, never. Uh, I do enjoy that. Like, again, Kit Cash being like a, a horrible, abusive man, not very interesting, but him being, again, a mid carried comedy goof, pretty good. Okay, I think we can, like, firmly, this is TNA's wheelhouse, right? mid card comedy goof, and just comedy goof in general, like, that's what they do best. Even at this point, because I think that's something that becomes more prevalent later. And that's like, but this is, you've seen it from here. Like all the best stuff that TNA does is their comedy goof stuff. Even like one of the big three lines of this month is Jarrett talking to his lawyers, which is mid card comedy goof shit, but it's great. It's the best. It's the most likable Jarrett's been the entire time. Yeah, because he's talking to uh, Tom Stenenbaum uh, from Stenenbaum, Stenenbaum and Stenenbaum. (laughs) There's Tom, there's Isaac and Tom Senior. Yeah, are, is there two different Toms? There is a Tom Senior, of course. I think he only talks to Tom Senior. I don't think I he thought, ever talks to Tom I thought Tom he Jr. talks to Tom Junior on the last day because he's like, uh, "Are you sure you're related or something?" No, it's Isaac. He's like, "Are you sure you're in the Stenenbaum family?" He's like, "Yeah," even though he's, <laughs> Isaac sounds exactly like Tom Senior did. And you have um, the receptionist, who is my favorite character in TNA history at this stage. Uh, well, do you want the, the great line of like, <laughs> they, he rings up and goes. <laughs> He goes, it's the greatest NWI champion ever. And she just goes with. I'm sorry, who? <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. And I go, oh. And I thought about that as Kid Cash, like, nodding along. And then when she's like, uh, who would that be? Kid Cash goes like, huh? And then the next week, literally, he calls again. And he's like, it's Jeff Jarrett. Tell Tom's here. And she's like, who? <laughs> so something along the lines of like, and who the hell do you, who's that Tom Broad that you have running the thing? And he's like, that's my daughter. And oh, lovely woman, lovely girl. <laughs> And we hit on this when we covered Ring Cacking as well, which what you can hear on Patreon, where like the, the reoccurring through line of that is like Jared goofball good, rest of the show kinda bad. Yeah. Jared's a great goofball heel. Yeah, he should write himself to do more comedy. TNA comedy stuff, good. Mm. So yeah, those are most of the, the pledges that Cash is trying to get people to sign. We had the debut of the masked El Leon, which happened in the first segment of the month. So Jeff Jarrett comes out at the start of the month. Mike Tanae is like, we're kicking off the show with some action in the X Division, even though Jeff Jarrett's music is playing the entire time. (laughs) That's what what I expect from the X Division, though, to be fair. Also, what happened to that X Division match? There was no other X Division matches on that show other than Ultimate X. So what happened there, Mike? Was Ultimate X meant to open the show? Maybe. Or just got cancelled by Jeff Jarrett's promo? Or maybe Mike had just crossed his wires. You get it? Because Ultimate X is literally cross wires. Good one. Thank you. I was really proud of myself and you just, you really, you tore me down. <laughs> tore you down like a belt being torn down from Ultimax, though very difficultly by Chris Saban. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I felt bad for that dude, man. So we started 2004 as we ended 2003 with a very long Jeff Jarrett promo. <laughs> as we will be experiencing for the next six years. Mm. So he comes out and he talks about how his interaction with Toby Heath made CMT's biggest 40 country music moments, even though that was him getting suplexed and thrown out of a battle royal. That's fine. Again, a nice little part of the the Jarrett lore that he's like bragging about something that was actually him getting his ass kicked. <laughs> See, Jarrett's good when he's like, like he's playing that kind of heelish 
a delusional guy more than when he's like, I'm a big badass. This was the first show that had the Juggalos in the crowd, not the ICP fans. Thank you. So the Juggalos are in the crowd. They chanted, you suck dick at them, which is bleeped on the Impact Plus version. You suck. Beep. There's a lot of bleeping. There is a lot of bleeping this month. How <laughs> bleep heavy this month of NWA TNA? Much of it for BGK. <laughs> Russo's back. This <laughs> is all the slurs come back. Is this Jarrett in his nice suit too? His completely non-tailored suit? Yeah, so he's bragging about how the fact that, you know, because he took out Raven, he took out AJ Styles and D'Lo out of the number one contendership picture, he was meant to defend the belt this month, but he's not going to, or this week, because he, and he actually doesn't defend the belt this month at all, so really he gets away with a lot of things. He took out all the number one contenders, so he does not have to make any title defenses, he's very proud of himself. <laughs> the, the announcement this week will be the announcement of Mr. TNA, it's come down, it's come down to AJ and uh, Jeff Jarrett, which we disagree with in our 2003 TNA awards, by the way, Liam. No, definitely not. Um, AJ made your list. I don't think he made mine. Yeah, you didn't even put AJ top three. No, AJ didn't make it for me. And Jarrett made neither of our lists. I'm surprised about that one. So Eric Watts comes out and the big development here, for reasons, I, they don't really explain it, but they say that they've discovered that the NWATNA board is dirty, but Eric Watts isn't. But they want Watts to step down so that he doesn't get dragged down through guilt by association with the board, I think is the angle here. I think the idea here is like, you step down now and save yourself the embarrassment of being caught up in what we're going to do to them. Mm. And Watts is like, no. Yeah. I will take the chance rather than the immediate failure. So Watts declines their offer to resign, calls Kakash short, which... Owned. Again, fun ties into then Kid Cash talk calling somebody else short later in the show. It's Kid Cash being like, no, I'm not short. <laughs> Don Cal ass. <laughs> he does love his Don Cal ass and Jeff the Jack. I'm not the, I'm not the, I'm not the ICP. I'm not going to do it. Ass. Uh, Jared, his, his favorite word is ass, whether he says it or not. So he, ta- he says Jared will lose the belt this year, which optimistic. <laughs> also like, you know, I'd hope. <laughs> You would hope that he does not hold the belt for the entirety of the 12 months. Carrot, he does not hold the belt for all of 2004. No, he only holds it for 10 of the 12 months of 2004. Uh, (laughs) Before a large man appears, attacks Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett Bales, the large man is wearing a mask. It's a mystery. You couldn't possibly say who it is, Liam. I think it's Vader. Oh, it is Vader. Yeah, it is. Makes sense. Got himself in great shape, to be fair to him. Yeah. Nice, Nice tattoo that he's got in his arm. The masked man is El Leon. Maybe if you if you watch very closely, you might realize it's Apollo. Or if you might watch not very closely at all. You'll still realize it's Apollo. Uh, and but if you and if you weren't paying that much attention, you will know by that stellar super kick. Yeah, his big sidekick and his big red boots. His big red boots are always the tail. He kept the boots. I don't know why we're still trying to make Apollo a thing. Listen, they just struck the deal with IWA in Puerto Rico, mm, and of those enough. talents, it's Apollo. So they brought him back. That's fair enough, I guess. So later in the show, Mike Tanay standing in the ring with Goldilocks and Eric Watts to announce who will win, Mr. TNA. Ooh. Mike Tanay pulls out the the, 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 the envelope. Well, it's handed to him by Goldilocks. He pulls out the, the piece of paper. He makes a sad face. He's all disappointed. My heart dropped. I was like, oh no, they're not actually going to do it, are they? I was, I was, I was hooked, line, and sinker, baby. Mike Tanay's facial expressions won you over. <laughs> no, it was, it was Eric Watts. <laughs> Oh, Watts is the guy. Typical. Yeah. And then you didn't even draft him. Neither did you. Well, he's not my guy, though. You didn't draft Mike Tanay, did you? Mike Tanay is not uh, an eligible option. You didn't draft Chris Saban. It's because you stole him from me like a mean man. You had plenty of opportunity. 
to draft him. Well, I won, so suck it. <laughs> yeah, well, I get the first round draft pick in 2004. So Mike today reveals, a lot of good that did you this year, that the winner of Mr. TNA for 2003 is the phenomenal AJ Styles. Jeff Jarrett is furious, he's very mad. Styles comes out, he's presented by a trophy. Don West chants AJ's name because he's very wholesome. My favourite part of that was when they were, do- they were doing like these two cuts to them backstage, like uh, as if they were at the Oscars on the tables. Mm-hmm. And all of Jarrett was, like, in his, like, little space. But then AJ was right next to the ramp. So it's like, well, one guy's winning here. (laughs) So AJ comes out. He does a promo. It's pretty bland. He's like, oh, it means a lot to me because it was you, the fans, that voted for it. It's like, Do you think he still has this trophy? I assume he does. The Mr. TNA 2003 trophy sitting on his shelf next to his WWE I legitimately thought of this while I was watching it. I was like, does he have it, like, in his video game room? We should look, because he does stream on Twitch, but I've never actually watched him. Does AJ strike you as, like, a I have the replicas of all my belts guy? Yes. You think he's got, like, an IWGP replica up there? And an the X Division title and the NWA title. If anyone's gonna do it, <laughs> like, you might as well be AJ Styles doing it, because you have WWE up there, you have NWA, IWGP, TNA. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a solid uh, arrangement of titles to have on your wall. He's won a couple of belts in Ring of Honor too, wasn't he? You never like the main one though. He had the pure title. So I guess you yeah. put that up there. But you know what I mean? It's like if there's anyone who's allowed to do it, I think, and get the replicas <laughs> and put them on their wall. It's the dude that's won belts literally everywhere. And not like not just one belt, one the main belt. <laughs> mm. Like how many other people can put those four belts <laughs> on their wall? So, by the way, you questioned me. I I often do. <laughs> Our 2003 TNA Awards. I gave top babyface Mike Tanay gimmick of the year, and you were like, oh, that's stupid. What happened here in January, Liam? First of all, it's still stupid. And second of all, <laughs> I don't remember saying that. <laughs> you were like, oh, you, you, you chuckled at me. You scoffed. You scoffed at the idea of top babyface Mike Tanay. And here he is, top babyface Mike Tanay all over January 2004. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's fine. Sure. So Mike Tanay cuts a promo about AJ being great and then proposes a match between Jarrett and Styles for both the Mr. TNA title and the NWA title. Jarrett does not like this. He proposes an alternative match, which is Styles and Watts against Jarrett and Abyss, where if AJ wins, he gets a title shot. And if Jarrett wins, Watts is out of the director of authority job. Is this the first TNA title match? (laughs) Well, it didn't happen, but it would have been, I guess. The Mr. TNA title match. It was for the Mr. TNA title. That's the reason Jarrett didn't want it to happen. It's like, I respect the NWA too much to do a Mr. TNA title match. <laughs> the Mr. TNA title was the belt. Mm. Not even like the sharp belt. It's like the 2015 belt. <laughs> I don't like that belt. It's the Jeff Hardy belt. After Jarrett proposed that Watts and Styles against Jarrett and Abyss match, Watts was like, ooh, I don't know. But then Goldilocks accepted on his behalf. <laughs> oh, Goldilocks. They did show it. We mentioned it at the end of the December episode. The, the, the cre- Okay, new contender for creepiest TNA segment ever. <laughs> so at the start of this month, they showed the segment that aired on one of the best ofs, which was Don Callis approaching Goldilocks Ugh. at the TNA Christmas party, which was... Uh... It was so gross. He's like, hey, Goldilocks. Yeah, he's like, uh, he's like, I want to eat you on my table. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> you want real money and then and then the, the worst part is like he's this creep he's grinding on her he's trying to dance with her and she's saying no 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 and and he's like yeah he, the terrible line of i want to eat her on my table and then 
He's like, oh, and Eric Watts has no money. If you want the money, you go with me. And then she looks dead in the camera and is like, how much money? And then, <laughs> boom, hard cut. Cinema. Oh, that's art, baby. Oh, I hate this segment. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it when I watched it. I hate it now thinking about it. So, yes, Goldilocks accepts on behalf of Eric Watts. And we are perhaps led to, to believe maybe that she's not acting in his best interests anymore. I don't think that's true. Goldilocks is still just the best pal of Eric Watts. Maybe in some ways she is acting in his best interest by removing him from power. Yeah, because he's not, he's not very good at it. NWA TNA pay number 77, January 14th, 2004. El Leon opens the show attacking Jeff Jarrett. They try to unmask him, but he escapes. You should call me El Liam. El Liam, the Liam. <laughs> yes, that, that, that's what they call me. Not not the mouth man, Liam Jones. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be known as the mouth man. I'm only the mouth men in some circles. So Leon is still trying to attack Jarrett. So that leaves us to our main event, which is Eric Watts and AJ Styles against Jeff Jarrett and Abyss. I forgot about this match. <laughs> if, if Styles and Watts win, Styles gets his title shot. If Jarrett and Abyss win, Watts is out of power. So they did a finish where Jarrett hit Watts with a belt, pinned him. Everyone was like, oh no. But then Mike Tanay jumps up from the announce desk, grabs a microphone, and he's like, Rudy, Rudy, he hit him with the belt. He hit him with the belt, Rudy. Heelish activities. The the ref's decision is final. Mike Tanay should respect that. Which, it's it's very funny because Rudy restarts the match. Then L. Lee Young comes out and starts attacking Jeff Jarrett, which for some reason is not a DQ, and Mike Tanay has no problem with this. Yeah, it's because Mike Tanay is biased. So earlier in the show, there was an interview with Goldilocks and Eric Watts where Eric Watts was like, Goldie, I need you to stay in the back. I need you to stay out of danger. I can't be focusing on you and focusing on keeping my job. Goldie was very jilted by this. She thought Watts was trying to break up with her and she was like, I will not be ignored. Yeah, this was an insane jumping of logic from Goldilocks here. Stay in the back. I don't want you to get hurt. You want to break up with me? To be fair, I also think it's a, a stretch of logic that is consistent with the Goldilocks character. Oh, she's insane. But they both are. <laughs> so yeah, El Leon brawls with Jared, which again, not a DQ. Goldilocks comes out, shouts at Eric Watts, teases turning on him, but low blows Abyss instead. Styles rolls up Abyss and that allows Styles and Watts to win, which means Styles should get a title shot. I gotta admit, I, I am I'm hooked on, on the Goldie stuff. Every time she came out there, I was like, oh, who's she gonna do it? Oh, don't do it. Oh, and then she didn't do it. And I was like, oh, wow. What a, what, the swerve was, there was no swerve. You were captivated. Captivated by the character that is Goldilocks. I gotta admit, they got me on this one. By the way, I think this is only, like, we've been building technically for like a year now to the idea of Eric Watts and Jeff Jarrett wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I think this is the only time they actually do it. And it's in a completely different context. Yeah. So, Mike Tanay, I don't know why he's okay with the fact that El Leon attacked Jarrett and Goldilocks low blowed the dude. Why didn't he want to restart the match again? I'm thinking there's some bias here from Mike Tanay. He's a bad guy. Callis uh, says he'll quit TNA forever if Watts is left in charge, to which I think everyone would be like, fine. Even Mike Tanay is like, fine, yes, good. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, Watts also says he'll quit TNA forever if Styles doesn't get his title shot, even though Styles just won his title shot, so... What's that's the idea here was like if they reverse the decision I thought but then it's like you would lose the your position anyway so he's technically yeah. he's correct if, if AJ Styles doesn't get his title shot I will be fired it's not him standing up for AJ Styles it's just stating a fact yes it's not an ultimatum it's just the fact that if they reverse that decision they are overruling you and thus rendering you powerless 
Yeah, but it was just his, like, you know, I you're going to try and fuck AJ out of this shot. I'm going to do the best I can to stop it. So after both men issued the ultimatum, Watts is like, no, give him the title shot. Callus is like, no, Watts can't stay. TNA management ran a Star Wars scroll at the start of the next show. <laughs> you should have got it and you should have read the whole thing. It was an open letter from TNA management saying, basically, if Callus and Watts can't coexist, they will face next week in a loser must resign, no DQ, falls count anywhere match. This is not fair. <laughs> Why not? This feels like... An abuse of power. I don't, there's a reason Don Callis wasn't excited for this matchup. Don Callis is a wrestler. Still. It's not like he's an untrained... And it's not like Watts is a good wrestler either, so it's... I bet his win rate is remarkable at this point. TNA management state that because the match is so important, Liam, it's so, mm-hmm. like, tippy-top important, everybody will be allowed ringside. That's a terrible decision. It's really bad. But in order to mitigate potential interference... Everybody will be handcuffed in pairs at ringside. This is insane. This is who? What? This is. I like the way that really canonically, everybody in this company is insane. Yeah. Like Watts is insane. Callus is insane. Jarrett's insane. Even Mike today is going insane. Like this show opens with Don's being like, "Mike, you're going too far out there. There's too much. You can't be doing this." Uh. Yeah. It's you can't. You can't get so involved. You are restarting matches. You're feuding with the world champion. You just you just can't do this anymore. Tonight's like, my job's on the line. Your job's on the line. <laughs> you're like, damn, all right, Mike. There's too much at stake, Don, to let it go like this. Hell of a promo on this guy. Mike is a great promo. Like, every time they actually add, like call on him to do a proper promo, he's really goddamn good. 100%. Callus Watts, main event of the last show of the month. Loser must resign from power, not TNA forever. They don't have to leave forever. It's just they won't have any more power. <laughs> Loser must resign from appearing on this podcast. <laughs> we can never mention the name Eric Watts again if he loses to Don Callis. Watts opens the show, then he comes out. He has, he talks about his match with Callis. He says he will beat him and remain in DOA next week. But that's not why he's out here. He's out here to announce Team TNA in the America's X Cup, which will be led by the returning captain, Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn, with a great look. He's the evil Jerry Lynn goatee is gone. And the long sleeve is on, but it's tucked in, baby. Mm. Do you think, like, because TNA got increasingly bad while Jerry Lynn was gone, do you think Jerry Lynn is the secret sauce? Mm Mm-hmm. And now that Jerry Lynn's back, the show's good again? Probably. (laughs) I mean, who else (laughs) went away and came back in the same time period? I don't know, Shark Boy hasn't been around a lot, but he was here this month. (laughs) Vince Russo, motherfucker. Juventud Guerrera? He's another guy that was gone for a while but came back. Uh, Juven Russo. So Lynn comes out, he says, oh no, he's gone for five months. He's like, I'm sick of being gone. He's been gone since, I think, August. It's big, big gap for poor, poor Jerry Lynn. He says that everything that happened is water under the bridge. It's very forgiving. It is. It is quite forgiving, especially given he was both behind the scenes and in front of the camera, dumped out in unceremonious circumstances. But nonetheless, he is back. So Kid Cash does come out and make that point. He was like, hey, they treated you like shit. You were really good. And you made the X Division. You made AJ Styles. You're a pillar of this company. And they treated you like garbage. You should sign the loyalty oath and join Jeff Jarrett. Then Jerry Lynn hits him with the clipboard. He's the second person because Chris Vaughn hits him with the clipboard at various stages this month too. He keeps getting hit, hit with this clipboard. Chekhov's clipboard. If it's there, somebody has to hit you with it. Of course. So Jerry Lynn declines the offer to join Jarrett and company. 
I wish that became a thing like that was just associated with Kid Cash from this point forward for the rest of his career. He was just the guy with the clipboard. Just the Rottweilers? Was that the name of that team? No. The Pitbulls. That's the name of that team. Yes. Different dog. <laughs> no, the Rottweilers versus the Pitbulls seems like a great WrestleMania weekend match. Yeah, someone should book that at WrestleCon. But yeah, just walking out with Jamie Noble carrying with a clipboard. <laughs> no one explains it. He just has the clipboard with him. Yeah, that'd be great. Returns in 2011 TNA. It's just like, hey, look at my clipboard. <laughs> 100%. So this is the show where Johnny Fairplay was also introduced. Our main event, Jeff Jarrett faces El Leon in a street fight that, of course, because it's TNA, ends in a no contest. As street fights are wont to do. Mike Tanay pushes Jeff Jarrett into the rail when they were brawling on the floor, then Jarrett pushed them back and they had a stare down. Top baby face, Mike Tanay. Well, step in the ring, Mike. So after a few weeks of the ICP fans, or Juggalos if you prefer, being in the crowd for, for weeks... Honestly, they annoyed me when they were just in the crowd by themselves. Because I'm okay with you, like, doing your ICP chants, like, when it doesn't matter. But there's periods where, like, baby faces are making a big comeback, and they start chanting ICP. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, stop getting yourselves over, you nerds. I was like, come on, heel section. Yeah, fight back. I wonder if, um, TNA Chad would have been a juggler. Chad should have returned to take down the jugglers, because apparently there was a few, like, juggler-related fights in the crowd. I, that, that comes with the juggalo turf. Yep, sure does. And to be fair, they probably did, like, up the energy levels overall. Yes. So it's, it's pro- they, in the crowd, are a net good, even if they do annoy me every so often. And to be fair, the Juggalos are probably fighting themselves as much as they're fighting anyone else. <laughs> Chad would have taken them all down, though. Chad is too powerful for the Juggalos. That's, that's why he had to return to his home planet. He would have brought a single sign that would have cut them so emotionally that they would have just left. He wouldn't have even have to do a fight. Yeah. He's just like, teenage Chad greater than Juggalos, and Juggalos are like, he's right. And he would have stolen their women. Oh, Chad, we miss you, Chad. Still, please, get in contact with us. Your your legacy lives on at TNAChad.com. And no, we will not pay you any royalties. <laughs> so our main event, Jarrett and uh, Leon in a street fight. I mentioned the ICP because this is where they, they actually got involved for the first time. They did have Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope in the crowd. They threw some fuego at Jeff Jarrett, got uh, in his face. I don't know what Fago is, but it's a soda pop, apparently. Uh, here, I'm gonna go grab some. You have Fago with you? Give me a second. And Liam denied me calling him a juggalo earlier. He's a juggalo. He's a big ICP fan, and there's nothing wrong. This should embrace his juggalo nature. Fago. We don't have Fago here. So, I don't know. I've never, I've never consumed it. Maybe we do, and I haven't found it. I'm not sure. I have returned. With your Fago? Yes, um, so, my, um, mate, he, uh, collects... Different, like, celebrity foods and drinks and such. Mm-hmm. So we do have... I do have a Fago container here. Is there Fago in the Fago container? There is no Fago in the Fago container. Oh, I was gonna... I, unlike the pizza, I was going to allow you to taste test the Fago on the podcast. We have a delicious cotton candy-flavoured Fago. Oh. Would you like to know any details about the Fago? Please read the description of the Fago. Not much to describe. It's a 23 ounce. We're in oh. ounces. It's a lot of Fago. Calories, 260. Per serving? Uh, per bottle, because serving size is one bottle. Yeah. A lot of sugar. Uh, includes 66 grams of added sugars, 132%. <laughs> Ooh, that's a lot of sugar. Not a sig- significant source of saturated fat, trans fat, cholesterol, dietary fiber, vitamin D, calcium, and iron. <laughs> Car- carbonated water, high fructose corn syrup, potassium, uh, benazate, citric acid, artificial flavor, Syracuse and Blue One. Distributed by Fago Beverages, Incorporated, Detroit, Michigan. 
wonder how blue one is different from blue two or three. I mean, I'll, put, I'll put the figure here to, to inspire the the upcoming ICP chat. You say you're not a juggalo, and there you are with a carton of Fuego next to you. It's not a cotton. You and Fago del Sol. Whoop, whoop. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, they've been ruined forever, even in the context. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't mind the juggalos. No, the whoop whoops, but sure. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know like, if, if the whoop whoop wants to be more closely associated with uh, Marty Scroll or with the juggalos. I'm sorry, it's just gone. It cannot be redeemed. Yeah, every time they do the whoop whoop chant for someone, I kind of like go, eh. Yeah, and like it happens quite a lot these days. There was a bunch over WrestleMania weekend. There was a couple on Dynamite this week. I don't know why. There was some for Keith Lee too. It's like no, stop it. Whenever they do, whenever they do like the the too sweet, they always throw in a whoop whoop, and I'm like, yeah, someone needs to reclaim the whoop whoop. Mike Janae interferes in this again. Jeff Jarrett wants to hit him with the guitar, but he pulls the guitar out of his hands, which allows uh, Elion to get a near fall. <laughs> Mike Janae is like, count, count. <laughs> Jared kicks out. Jared hits Leon with the guitar, goes for an unmasking motion. AJ makes the save, and then the match is declared a no contest. Again, despite being in a street fight, Mike Tanay interfering is fine, but AJ Styles is the step too far. Yep. Well, he's clearly going to influence the match too much. It was getting out of hand. Then Abyss stops AJ, hits him with a shock treatment, picks him up, press slams him from the ring, through a table, on the floor. AJ's dead as we go off the air. Shades of Brian Urlacher. It is. It's basically the same thing that happens the next week. Maybe Urlacher was watching his his week before TNA taping. Like, what can I do? I don't think Brian Urlacher knows who Abyss is. <laughs> he should. Should have recruited him. Should have done a match between Abyss and Brian Urlacher. <laughs> if only they could have come up with the $57 million to to put up. Uh, so, NWA TNA pay read number since <laughs> totally try TNA bankrupt. 79, <laughs> January 28th, 2004. A show opens with Eric Watts arriving with Brian Urlacher, coming, being pals. You were like, who's that guy? Yeah. yeah I was like, man, he's big. He should be a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> and the opening match, Abyss faces D'Lo Brown. D'Lo out for revenge after Abyss killed AJ the week before, but then he loses and gets killed too. I appreciate them adding that little element at least. Yeah, that they're still teams and pals, and even D'Lo does a little, it's like an inset promo being like, listen, th- this industry is built on respect, and I respect AJ, and you can't do that to my friend, so I'll fight you. This industry is built on honor. Abyss beats D'Lo, pulls, pushes Rudy into the ropes, hits a black hole slam, chokeslams D'Lo through a, ta- a table, D'Lo is stretchered out. D'Lo, firmly just a guy now. Yeah, it's actually sad, because he does have a match with Siaki earlier in the month that he wins, so he's, he's not like winless this month, he does at least pick up one win against Siaki. But he's a mid-card he- dude now. Yeah, and he's beaten Siaki plenty of times before. That's a callback to a feud they had in 2003. Like, he's just... He's just a guy again. And, like, to be fair, he came back and he was still just a guy. You know, they tried to make a deal about him coming back and then he started losing immediately again. He lost the match to Diamond and Swinger with AJ and now he's just... That's not his fault. (laughs) No, it's not. Because he's just... Well, maybe it is because he's working too much All Japan and they don't want to book him around the All Japan. pay him more. Like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because they do mention that he was literally off the plane from an All Japan show for this match against the Abyss. Yeah. Gotta do what you gotta do. But it is a bummer. Again, when you think about how he came in, and we didn't mention it, I don't think. We didn't mention D'Lo and Biggest Disappointments in our 2003 End of Year Awards on Patreon. But D'Lo's probably up there as one of the bigger disappointments in 2003. Yeah. 
that he came in as this guy with a bunch of momentum, seemed like a big star, cut a great promo, looked great, worked great. Everything about what, like, it's not like Dilo let his side of the bargain down. Dilo was great in pretty much everything they asked him to do. And then he just booked him as a nerd who lost all the time. It's unfortunate, because uh, it did feel like they had a thing with him for a minute. So Dilo was taken out, and we mentioned that Siaki was taken out by being handcuffed to the uh, locker. That's important for the main event as well. Which brings us to our main event. Don Callis versus Eric Watts for control of the NWA TNA. In a pretty great match. One of Liam's favorite matches in TNA history. A four and a quarter star match, according to Liam Jones. Okay. So there's a few things I feel like we need to establish about me as a pro wrestling viewer, first of all. Mm -hmm. I am notoriously someone who enjoys interference when I feel it's done right. Mm-hmm. This match had that. Yeah, did you notice that there was some interference in this matchup? There was a lot of it. In fact, there was pretty much 20 people at ringside constantly trying to interfere. And it ruled! And I was buying into it, and the Goldilocks swerve got me. I enjoyed this. This was good pro wrestling. It wasn't your Okadas and your, your Naitos having your four and three quarter star matches, you know? It was better. <laughs> In its own way, yeah. It told a different kind of story. Uh, and man, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of this match. What can I say? I got into it. I like these... I, I'm a fan of these uh, kind of stories. And these big... Um, everyone involved. Everyone has their own um, stakes, their own claims to it. And uh, yeah. I just enjoyed it. I thought it was good fun. So as mentioned, everybody was handcuffed to somebody at ringside. So AMW were handcuffed to the red shirts. Jerry Lynn was handcuffed to Kid Cash, which is honestly my favorite pairing because Kid Cash constantly tried to like start running up the steps and run into the ring and Jerry Lynn kept pulling him out. Who was your, um, if you had to be handcuffed to one person at ringside, who would it be? Abyss. I was going to say Abyss too. Just one, he'd do a very good job keeping me from getting in the ring, but also yeah. it's Abyss. Look how cool he is. We could, we could, we could be, um, handcuffed to one arm each. And he could deal with both of us at once. Obviously. Like a cartoon. Just like smack us together. <laughs> Simon Diamond was handcuffed to David Young. Disco to Swinger. Abyss to Don Harris. Abyss was meant to be handcuffed to D'Lo. But of course D'Lo was taken out so they substituted Don Harris. And Jarrett handcuffed Mike Tanay to the guardrail. <laughs> well to be fair. He's not in the wrong for doing this. Mike got incredibly involved last time. Yeah he did shove Jarrett a couple of times. He did reverse the decision of a match. He did pull a guitar out of Jarrett's hands. He is the top babyface. I don't know. I think he's kind of the top heel. Oh, listen, you've signed your Jeff Jarrett loyalty pledge, haven't you? Yeah, well, Eric, what's lost uh, the power? What can I say? <laughs> I see where the tides go. Jarrett was handcuffed to El Leon. So it was a big brawl around the arena. Don Callis came out wearing a fancy robe, but then was wearing the worst wrestling gear you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like, is this the gear he used to wear? I have no idea. I'd be I don't think so. I wouldn't think. He was good in this. His role was quite nice. I don't even mean the role. I just meant, like, his performance. Like, mm. I thought he was a really, like, pretty decent, technically sound wrestler out there. Did some really good, like, classic heel shtick. Yeah, and he's just Don Callis. <laughs> he's, just, he's just Don Callis, baby. He is just Don Callis. So, the big thing, Trinity, who, again, continuity, was uncuffed. They didn't substitute Siaki. She was meant to be cuffed to Siaki during this match. They substituted Don Harris for Abyss, but they didn't substitute anybody for Trinity. That's sexism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, should, they should have um, handcuffed her to herself. So, at the very least, she didn't have use of both hands. 
Yeah, so she ran out, she hit Watts with a moonsault, but Watts kicked out. Then the Naturals, who appeared at ringside, who we'll talk about more when we get to the tag team division, but they're reigniting their feud with AMW. The Naturals came out, they attacked AMW, then Goldilocks came out, and Watts powerbombed Trinity, and you thought that was the moment. Like, he had Trinity mm -hmm. up for a powerbomb, and you're like, oh, this is the low blow, just like she did to Abyss, but she doesn't. Watts powerbombs Trinity, then Watts grabs Don Callis by the throat, lifts him up for a choke slam, and then Goldilocks strikes. Yeah, that's when the swerve. It's, I thought it was a good build to the swerve too, because they gave you. They're like, oh, oh, it wasn't there. And then you, you thought for a second, well, maybe they're just gonna keep them like together again still. But no, they got you in the end. Because they did do the misdirect earlier in the month where they made you think that Goldie was going to turn on him in the, the tag team match with Abyss and then she turned on Abyss instead. And then I do I did quite like the misdirect where it's like he has Trinity up for the powerbomb and like that's the moment that he's going to turn. And no, they, they delayed it another moment again just to, to try and yeah, trick you into thinking it was another swerve. But yeah, she, she low blows Eric Watts. Don Callis hits Eric Watts with a championship belt which Watts takes a flip inside out bump for. <laughs> yeah. And it was a good bump, too. Yeah, and Callus pins Watts to gain full control of TNA. Wonder, does he have full control, or does... does yeah, no, sorry, I thought you meant Jarrett. I'm, I'm confused. Callus is Jeff Jarrett's puppet, yeah. but Callus is the one that technically has power. And money, apparently, because Goldie made the switch. Mm, so they raise Callus above their head as, as Don West shouts, You whore! <laughs> Goldie locks! <laughs> You whore. Uh, and he's like, I, I call it as I see it, Mike. She's whoring herself out to Don Callis. <laughs> Tanae calls her a bitch. This is your baby face, Garrett. <laughs> we go off the air with Jarrett, Callis, and company in full control of DNA for the month. We, we, the only thing that we missed through this was the, the diamond swinger stuff. Which, honestly, we'll leave for the tag division. Sure. So that is everything to do with the Callus and Watts and Jarrett stuff. It was a, a severe showrunning angle. We probably missed a couple of pre-tapes, but they all just reinforce the same points over and over again, really. Yeah, it, it is basically just the same segments over and over again. There is many segments where Jeff Jarrett is like, Hey, you Kid Cash, you get me those signatures! And Kid Cash is like, ooh! <laughs> There's one that I did want to mention where they were all in the, the limo. Oh, yeah. And Cash and Abyss are both in it at the same time. And Cash is just like, eh. And Abyss is too busy looking at the lights in the limo. Yeah, he's fascinated. That's continuity with Abyss. He was fascinated by the lights on the stage, and now he's fascinated by the lights on the limo. And they're all drinking champagne, except for Abyss, who's just kind of there. And that was the big reveal that we're going to go party with Johnny Fairplay. Oh, because they announced on that show that, yeah, that Fairplay's coming. Mm -hmm. I think that was the only acknowledgement that that was actually the news. <laughs> Oh, we, we, I forgot about Fairplay's plane, by the way, which was just a regular plane with a TNA sticker on the front. That rocks. I'd love to see the negotiations at the airport or the airstrip or wherever they film that. It's like, we'd like to stick a TNA sticker on this plane. Is that, a, is that okay? And they're like, we don't care, man. Just make sure you take it off before you leave. I hope they didn't. <laughs> that TNA plane is still flying the airs of Nashville. <laughs> they never managed to get it off. It's stuck on there too hard. So that brings us to the Gatherings feud with Raven. If you'd remember at the end of the month, CM Punk and Julio De Niro turned on Raven in December. They, they betrayed him in their steel cage match. And now we've led straight into Raven and the Sandman against the Gathering for show of the month. Yeah, it kind of turns into a friends of Raven versus Gathering thing. Yeah, because here the the story is that the, the Gathering have somebody on their side and it's revealed to be Father James Mitchell is managing the Gathering 
to, to take out Raven. So the, the finish of this match, a masked man comes out and puts some chloroform over the face of Raven. Here's a fun note. Raven insisted on real ether being used for his angle with James Mitchell last week. There was a lot of wrestlers laughing at Raven over this, and the laughter turned to anger when Dutch Mantel stunk up the locker room by pouring some of the liquid on a rag. That is that like bad for you? <laughs> I'd imagine you could be knocked out by it, so yeah. <laughs> Probably killing a few brain cells there. So yeah, this masked man put the, the ether rag up to Raven's face, Raven passed out, the gathering won. Then they went up the ramp, he pulled off his hood dramatically. It was a very like shoddy looking outfit, by the way, that masked outfit. I would like to actually rewatch that now and see like how Raven passed out. Uh, so that allows the gathering to beat Raven and Sandman. I will say it's a nice bit of continuity that Raven turned to Sandman, just like he did earlier yeah. in the year. Like, and, and I think it was Don West actually connected those dots that like one of the big driving factors in the gathering turning on Raven was him choosing to team with Sandman against the Red Shirts. And now he's turning to Sandman again to team against the gathering. And uh, as Sandman learns, can't trust that Raven. Yep, so Mitchell comes out, chloroforms him, reveals himself as Father James Mitchell, and Raven is shook by the the return of James Mitchell. <laughs> and also the real ether pouring into his face. Uh, I love Sandman's high-flying, by the way, because we get a whole month of Sandman and a person against the Gathering matches this month, and it's just, like, every one of them basically has him hitting a, a top-roll Hurricane Rana on CM Punk, and they're, like, bad <laughs> but great. Sandman's great, like... Seriously, I, I couldn't... I said this during the watch along, but it's like, I'm, I never see that a, a Sandman matches on the lineup and get upset. Mm. I'm always like, sure, let's go. So Raven is so shook that he disappears. Thus proving the gathering right that Raven's all about himself all the time. Leaves his uh, partner high and dry to face his war. So they, they show a clip of someone trying to get comment... Uh, it's probably Scott. Trying to get comment from Raven about it. Raven leaves in his car and we do not see him for the rest of the month. Sandman continues to fight Raven's battles in his stead. Scott clearly should have hijacked a car behind Raven and chased <laughs> it down. We've learned he does not know how to hijack a car, but it would be fun oh. character continuity, character development if he's like, oh, after that segment with James Mitchell, I learned. It would be funny if he tried to. He's like, I gotta get this scoop. Mm. So Hudson goes to interview Raven, but it turns out it's James Mitchell in a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, was that also on this show? Yeah, it was the second show of the month. Ah, there you go, Sammy's like, Raven, Raven! It's just like, nope, it's it's because it's he's in Raven's perch or whatever, Raven's locker room. He's he's taken <laughs> Raven's space. Which was like a toilet before, and now it's just like a creepy red room. Yeah. The chain hanging up. Or I guess it's probably the um the dog collar, I imagine. Mm, so Mitchell offers Sandman a chance to back out of the match and the gathering on to make an example out of Sandman. You can tell, and there's a note, that CM Punk apparently was not happy about James Mitchell being made their manager. Not really due to anything against James Mitchell, just because he thought it would infringe on his own promo time. He thought he was finally getting his own angle with promo time, and then suddenly he's given a manager that will eat into his promo time. But it's, it's funny when you watch all of their promos, it's basically James Mitchell cuts the promo, and then CM Punk cuts his own version of basically the same promo every week. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I can understand where he's coming from because it felt like he was finally starting to break out a little bit because he was getting that time to talk. And then they're like, nope, Father James Mitchell, please. Which, you know, I get for storyline purposes. But hey, they kind of have this balancing act with it, so I think it's fine. I quite liked Julio De Niro backstage calling him CM. <laughs> yeah. Like, not punk? CM? No. You going with CM here? Listen, this goes back to how our, 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 um, upset we were 
and that, that uh, CM Punk never got Julio some ROH gigs, you know? Because uh, mm. in my head, and I don't know if this is with you two, but I, I, I just imagine them as being best mates. And truly, it upsets me to, to, to assume that they, they weren't. Yeah, it's only other workers call him Punk, but his friends call him CM. Oh. I also found it funny that, like, the gathering betrayed Raven, and he was fine with it. He's coming back the next week for revenge with the Sandman. Mm-hmm. But James Mitchell shows up. Yeah. James Mitchell is here. And now all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm gone. Bye. I'm never coming back. Yeah. I I, I don't know. He, he never showed up again, did he? Or did he come back right at the end? I forgot. No, there's a bunch of teases. There's a bunch of video teases that he'll be back, but he doesn't actually show up. I would. I really hope he comes back with a shaved head again. He doesn't, I don't think so. Oh, that would have been such a great bit if he came back with the shaved head. Purged himself once again to take down the new church. Or the new yeah. new church? The gathering of the new new church, the basically. Gathering. The, ga- the, the, the church gathering. There's too many vampires in TNA, so they have merged the two vampire things into one vampire. Yeah, and got rid of them. <laughs> so they got rid of two of the vampires, gave two of the other perceived vampires the vampire manager, and now it's a consolidation of vampires here in 2014. To be fair, all the vampires are in the same thing now, so... It's true. They're all in one place. So we had a double Singapore Kane match in which the Gathering faced the Sandman. It was meant to be the Sandman and Raven, but Raven didn't show up. So Sandman rallied, but Mitchell caused a distraction, allowing a double super kick for the win. And then the Gathering beat him down with Kane's after the match. We're starting to see some actual uh, Gathering tag cohesion now. I will say the Gathering shouldn't have needed a distraction to beat the Sandman two on one. Yeah. Should have beat him. Uh, I thought it was fine. So then the theme of the rest of the month is the Sandman can no longer rely on Raven to be his partner. So he has to go to his his Rolodex of ECW pals to come back and be his partners. Well, something I liked about this was they did the match and then they went to the back with the Hudson and Watson Goldie promo. And then they came back and Sandman was just... I think they even they threw to Mike and Don who was starting to like do the rundown or whatever. And then you just hear Sandman in like... That classic John Moxley voice, as we learned, uh, just screaming in the ring, just wailing about the gathering and about how he's going to bring Balls Mahoney. Yeah, so Balls will be his first man to try and take down the gathering next week as they face off the gathering versus the Sandman and Balls. Balls, very good shape, by the way. Yeah, he was looking good here. Thought he looked uh, looked well for himself, even though this is one of his only TNA appearances until like Hardcore Justice and stuff around that. My first TNA show. The 2010 one, the ECW one? I believe so, yeah. Oh, what a show to start with. First pay-per-view, I should say. So the Gathering win when they hit the their finish, which is an elbow sidewalk slam. They have a, Well, they used to have a tag team finish. It used to be like a, a doomsday device dropkick. Mm, I do remember that. And now they, they've shifted to doing it, an elbow drop side slam combo, which Jurassic Express did on Dynamite this week. Yeah. Callback to the Gathering. God, this is all building to Julio returning and coming to AEW. He sure is, definitely, 100%. Nothing else. Sandman failed again with balls. Gathering win. CM Punk grabbed a microphone, which I think is the first time he's had a live mic in TNA history. Hmm. To the degree that like, I think the first thing he says, it's like, it's about time, which I think he's literally him being like, finally, I get to speak in front of an audience. Yeah, it was always such a weird choice. Like this guy who's best known for his speaking roles. It's like, we're going to put him with, uh, with uh, Raven so he never gets a chance to speak. <laughs> And then he's going to turn on Raven and we're going to put him with James Mitchell so he still never gets a chance to speak. And you wonder why he he ended up choosing Ring of Honor over TNA. It wasn't a choice. <laughs> oh yeah, because he had the, the fight with Teddy Hart. Teddy Hart, that's why he stopped doing TNA. But he says they'll pay in blood uh, and then they get taxed from under the ring but they don't pour out the tax. It would have been the first tack moment in TNA history, wouldn't it? 
Mm. But they didn't actually pour out the tax, so we never saw them. A warped version of Raven's theme played as the lights flickered on and off, but it serves as much a, a, as a distraction for Sandman to make the comeback. So we are teasing Raven potentially returning with light effects and music. Yeah. But Punk does look very happy to be getting promo time. You can see it. You can see it in his yeah. eyes when he, whenever he gets like 60 seconds to cut a promo. It's helping set him apart from everyone too. Because mm, he can't do it any other way. You want people on YouTube to call you a goof again? Yeah, they're going to get mad at me. I like CM Punk. I think he's great. <laughs> Later in the show, they do the same old promo. They're like, they dare him to choose Raven as his partner again because he's they, like, no, he won't he's like, it's, it's not like it's a choice for Sam, man. He, he chose him as his partner for the double Singapore cane match and he didn't show up. He's like, if I could, I would, man. So last show of the month, the gathering against the Sandman once again. This time, his partner is the debuting Mikey Whipwreck. But also, I think more importantly, the Sandman sounds exactly like John Moxley. <laughs> like, exactly. They showed a promo that they aired originally on Explosion where he's like, oh, I'm going to keep on coming. I don't care. I'm going to take down the devil. He has a point where he's like, Raven! And it's like, this is a Moxley promo. <laughs> I'm sorry, Moxley does Sandman promos. Yeah, I guess so. But goddamn, they, they sound the exact fucking same. They do. We even looked into whether or not they like came from the same place, and they don't. I, I, I it must just be the cigarettes. <laughs> I was going to say, it's just the smoking, isn't it? <laughs> the smoking and the alcohol, I guess. Gives that gravelly quality to your voice. Because like, I'm, I'm not even really talking about like modern day Moxley. Like, I'm talking about like Moxley in CZW. Like... That era of Moxley, like when he was younger and his voice was a little higher, that's what he sounds like. I wonder. I assume Sandman is an influence for him, right? I would have to think on a on a level he, he is. I think I remember watching one of his shoot interviews and he talked about Sandman being an influence. So Mikey Whipwreck is the partner of Sandman in a, a really nice touch. I t- a touch I liked a lot. Mikey Whipwreck came out and he mm. stood next to the gathering because Mikey Whipwreck was managed by James Mitchell and ECW to the tag titles. So they did a little tease that, oh no, has he chosen a guy who's going to turn on him immediately? But no, Mikey Whipwreck did side with him. Yeah, I like this. I like that a lot too. I thought it was a really nice touch. Yeah, it would have been like a, a weird thing to ignore. It's like, oh, well, he used to be managed by James Mitchell. Why is he fighting him? It's like, oh, because he's friends with the, his pal, the Sandman, and that's why he's fighting him. And they, they they played on it. They teased it. Yeah, it was a nice touch. Clearly, Tajiri needs to come in now. Yeah, they need to get everybody from DCW, which they are doing. So after this match, Gathering won, again, with their side slam elbow. They whip Sandman with a cane after the match. Lights go out. Raven Montage appears saying, I am watching you, devil, as the Gathering are spooked. Ooh. And then later in the show, Scott Hudson is backstage with the Sandman, who's like, Whipwreck failed, Balls failed, Raven nowhere to be seen, there's only one place I can turn. Next week, it will be The Gathering, versus The Sandman, and the debuting hardcore legend Terry Funk. Yeah, I mean, that's about as, that's about as hard as you can go. You can go no higher in the ECW canon than Terry Funk. Fresh off um, working Punk and Ring of Honor too. So that will be, uh, uh, there's two Terry Funk matches in February we can look forward to, so. I am very much looking forward to them. The only Terry Funk matches in TNA history, the only Terry Funk appearances in TNA history coming up in our February 2004 episode. And um, kind of a, a full circle moment because very early on there was a lot of talk about getting Terry Funk in. And not just Terry, of course, Dory was on the early shows as well. Mm-hmm. So that is all the Gathering and Sandman stuff as they have a series of tag team matches that will continue into February. I'm looking forward to it. I'm uh, Once again, the Raven Gathering slash New Church stuff is the best stuff on the show. 
Just consistently. And even, like, this month, the matches are all pretty short. They're pretty quick. But they don't stay the welcome either. They're in and out. They're done. That's good, though. <laughs> yes. In many ways. So let's move to the X Division, which started the month with Ultimate X 2. The second Ultimate X between Chris Sabin, Loki, <laughs> Christopher Daniels, and Michael Shane. Should have lit that. They should have electrified the Ultimate X. Yeah, when you touch the metal, you get set on set like it just get rolling set on off. Fire? Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's next level. Yeah, Ultimate X electric fire match. Death. Oh no! So the so the the thrusses are electric, but then there's a bunch of fire hoops around the cables that you have to avoid. Yes, that's 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 our dream match right there. Elevation X, but on fire is it? <laughs> Elevation X, but it's an Inferno match, and the whole ring below was on fire. Yeah, I was gonna say, you fall into the fire. Come on, Lucha Underground, what the hell? So, Chris Sabin defeated Michael Shane, Loki, and Christopher Daniels in Ultimate X2 to become X Division Champion for the second time in his career. And I was a little disappointed that so much of this match revolved around a ladder. You and your ladder in Ultimate X hatred. But, like, the whole point is that it's a ladder match without the ladder. So that when you introduce a ladder, which, to be fair, it was introduced as the heels trying to cheat. It's not like, the, you know, they yeah. made a ladder, which I will have a problem with in later Ultimate X matches, in which the it's not introduced that way. Hardys, I'm looking at you. But... It happens a couple times, doesn't it? Didn't Saban do that? Usually it is trying to cheat, because Team 3D tried to do it too when they did the six-man Ultimate X. They tried to use a ladder. But the Hardys just won an Ultimate X match using a ladder. <laughs> it's like, that's not allowed. There's one rule in Ultimate X, no ladders. <laughs> Which uh, <laughs> got messed up with Mike and Don <laughs> at one point, where they're like, there's one rule. It's like, there is no rule. Like, no, no, no ladders. You're not allowed to use ladders. So I was a just little disappointed that like the, the middle of the match was basically a ladder match, as opposed to an Ultimate X match. But it's still, it's a very good match. The stories. The cables were actually tied two feet higher this time, which was no conscious choice. I think it was just the way it was designed that way. It was also the red cables, so it was more like the classic Ultimate X look. Yeah. Uh, I did. I liked Mike Tanay on commentary connecting the dots of like, oh, you know, Shawn Michaels popularized the ladder match, and now Michael Shane is popularizing the Ultimate X match. It's like, oh, that's like a nice little through line there, Mike. Well done. And both will be equally as known for them. D damn right. Everyone thinks Michael Shane Ultimate X. I also quite enjoyed the, the, the period of Christopher Daniels and Michael Shane trying to climb via various, like, illegal means. So, like, Daniels trying to springboard from the ropes to the middle, and then Michael Shane setting up a, a chair in the middle of the ring, trying to jump off, and then Daniels trying to do a running jump where he he ran the ropes, but then Loki came back the other way and kicked him off the chair. <sighs> so good. I appreciated uh, Daniels' attempts at trying to cheat it, because we didn't really see a lot of that in the first one. Hmm. I was going to say, before the ladder was introduced, that this was like, it felt like the next step in Ultimate X. It felt like guys being like, okay, like, what can we do here? What are, what are like, the fun ideas we can do in this one? As opposed to the first one, which is very much, you know, this is the first Ultimate X, so this is, we don't know what we're doing, more or less, we'll hope it works out. As opposed to, you know, you see the next step, and, like, when they do it again, there's, there's more ideas, there's more, like, interesting concepts that they can do with Ultimate X, and then we'll see that increasingly through the years. I did like this one more. Uh, I think I preferred the first one due to not. It's hard to see because like the belt falling hurts the yeah, first one. Yeah, it's like the chaos of it. Uh, like you, you can't entirely judge the first one without counting the fact that the belt fell down twice. The belt fell down zero times this time for a reason. But the only thing that fell down was Chris Saban. Mm, Loki doing a dragon sleeper on the cables was cool. I thought that like that kind of stuff was just it stood out more to me than Ultimate X One, where it's like I don't really remember anything beyond. 
things falling off, <laughs> the belt falling off constantly. With this one, I'm like, oh yeah, they had the cool spot with Daniel trying to get it and getting the kick. They had the the two dragon sleepers. I, I just like this one more. So yeah, the finish is Michael Shane goes to try and climb the cables, but Chris Saban kicks him off to a table that's set up on the floor below. Saban climbs the cables, gets to the middle, pulls the belt. It doesn't come down. No, it does not. He pulls the belt again. It still doesn't come down. So he releases his feet and with the full force of his body pulls on that belt for like 10 seconds and it finally comes loose and it finally falls down and he just takes a bump that looks like it sucks like shit to take from the top you of Ultimate X. 10 seconds. I say 10 minutes. It felt like that, sure, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I felt so bad for the guy. Because the belt fell twice in the original Ultimate X, they taped it up there with masking tape so it didn't fall down again, but it made it tremendously difficult for Chris Saban to pull the belt down, and it caused him a great deal of difficulty at the end of this match. Hmm. But there you go, Chris Saban, your new, Ultima, your, new, your new Ultimate X champion, yes, he won the match, and your new X Division champion, X Division champion for the second time in his career. And the only. <laughs> this is it. Never will he ever be X Division champion ever again. Not another eight times. <laughs> but, yeah, Ultimate X, still cool, still new, still fresh, still novel, still the, like one of the best things about this company. Every time I see this match, I just think, why can't we think of new match types now? We have mm. so much money, we have so much time, and such infrastructure behind us. Can we not invent new match types that do crazy shit? Because people have no new ideas and they just want to do the same stuff over again and they don't want to think about it. I will forever push my parkour pro wrestling. <laughs> I want a giant parkour arena and I want people to do crazy matches. And also, of course, the pain bow. Ah, the pain bow, of course. <laughs> Feel free to take the pain bow. By the way, pain bow still is a fantastic idea. Oh, dear. The pain bow is great. I will not have... Oh. The... I feel like I got shit on for the pain bow last time, okay? Pain bow is a great idea. I may not be great at explaining the idea, but it's a great idea. If you haven't listened to our Monday War Game series on Patreon, Liam has once pitched the idea of the pain bow, which is two steel cages which are connected via a cylinder, which you can climb across from one cage to the other. So there's a cylinder going across both. It is two cages that like, so you get like your regular kind of six sides and then you get another one and they just go up in like a diagonal and then they meet up in a straight at the top. So it's like a hell in a cell kind of, but it's... <laughs> Two rings, and it's just, you can climb over and go back and forth. You can climb between the pain bow, which is the yes. steel cages connecting the two regular steel cages. It is in the shape of a rainbow. And you can do, imagine the cool shit you can do. You can do stuff in the middle cage. You could do stuff where you, like, jump off the middle. You have all that, like, that distance. It's basically the WCW triple cage match, but in the shape of a rainbow. It is nothing like that! <laughs> that is vertical! This is horizontal! Yes, it's basically the WCW triple cage match in the shape of a rainbow. No! There's no thing stopping them into segments. It is a singular cage. <laughs> it's basically the WCW It's fucking not! And WATNA baby number 77. Oh. We had a number oh. one contenders match. I went up an octave I was that angry. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Shane defeated Loki and Christopher Daniels to become number one contender for the exhibition title. I don't care. <laughs> Liam has, has lost interest. I'm going through our Twitter to find the pain bow. Daniel's new nickname apparently is the Lord of the Ring. That's terrible. He's Sauron. But just one ring. 
I guess there is just I one. I forgot what the fucking rainbow looked like. <laughs> Go tweet it again so we can direct it for people to it. <laughs> I forgot that at one point there was the Sean Ross Sap tweet. He was like, give me new wrestling match type ideas. Oh, and I quote tweeted it with the painbow. Yeah. The painbow. <laughs> I am trying to spread your painbow initiative to the world, Liam. The painbow. Just that I refer to it as a WCW match doesn't mean that I don't it support not, it. It's not like it at all. But here we are. If, if Liam, I assume, has tweeted the painbow again. So if you'd like to see the painbow, his artist's rendering of the painbow, go to TNA History Pod on Twitter. It's a fantastic idea. Shane, number one contender. Whatever, man. Who cares? Painbow. So Daniels and Loki worked together for stages of the match, but then turned on each other for stages. So they're they're not on the same page again. Shane Douglas stopped Loki from hitting the key crusher, allowing Michael Shane to hit a super kick and become the one contender. Mm-hmm. Then later in that show, Shane Douglas faced Elix Skipper. Yeah, I actually kind of like this one. It was just weird. I thought he squashed him. <laughs> I didn't get this the the squash thing. I don't know because the story was like that that Skipper hurt his neck and then franchise started going after it. It looked rough though. <laughs> I was like, ah, did my man actually hurt his neck? Maybe if he did, I didn't see any notes. Maybe if he did hurt his neck, it makes more sense. But like Shane Douglas just went after his neck and then locked him in a submission and he lost. There was like no comeback, no drama. He just beat him. Yeah. After the match, Shane Douglas held the submission on until Loki made the save. Shane and Tracy cut him off until Daniels made the save. And they're all together again. Triple X standing tall in the ring. Daniels and Skipper shake hands. Skipper and Loki shake hands. Then it comes down. Daniels extends his hand to Loki. Loki looks at it. He pauses, but he turns and walks away. Damn. They should settle this in the pain bar. <laughs> the triple X reunion came this close, but did not come oh, together. God, Elix Skipper doing the, the cage walk in the middle of the pain bar? I feel like it would be much easier. Sure. <laughs> Probably would be. It'd be cool still. End of your DNA, baby. Number 78, January 21, 2004. Michael Shane and Shane Douglas faced Triple X. Again, reinforcing the Triple X reunion not being great because they just lost again. They lost to Michael Shane and Shane Douglas. Maybe Triple X suck. Have we ever considered this? No, they're good. Maybe they suck. Maybe they're just a bad team who can't win. Because, like, Skipper lost. Skipper just is a loser nerd, apparently. <laughs> It is nice to see more of, like, a babyface Triple X. Well, that's the idea here, isn't it? Even though D- D- Daniel's, like, that's his turn? That he extends yeah. the hand to Loki? That's his babyface turn, I guess? Uh-huh. Elix Skipper was wearing a sensational tracksuit earlier in the month. I must give him credit for that. He's always wearing... He's got good, uh... Except when he's, like, a Matrix guy. Hmm. He's got, a. Uh, he's got some good, um, presentation. So, for some reason, this tag match was meant to be a 2-1-1 handicap match between Triple X and Shane Douglas, but then Mike Tanay says that Shane Douglas politicked his way into to being a fair match. How dare he? How dare he turn a unfair-looking match into a fair match, so it ends up being 2-1-2, two two, Shane and Shane against Daniels and Skipper. Yeah, Shane and Shane. So, the finish is that Skipper goes up top, there's four chairs set up on the floor in the usual <laughs> four-chair pattern, so somebody could fall through. Tracy jumps up on the back of Elix Skipper. Then Michael Shane pushes both of them off. And Elix Skipper takes a face-first bump off the middle rope through four chairs on the floor. And it looked like it sucked like shit. For this. (laughs) For this mid-card tag team match against the new franchise. Yeah. I would not have taken this bump. And poor Tracy on his back also taking this bump. Tracy's crazy. She's willing to do anything. 
She, like, I have a lot of respect for Tracy. She's, she, she'll do it all. So Daniels hits the last rice, but the referee was distracted, which allowed Shane to hit Daniels with a chain and pick up the win for him and Shane Douglas. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any other exhibition stuff that month. Then last show of the month, or the, that week, the last show of the month was Chris Saban defending the exhibition title against Michael Shane. Fairly straightforward match. Franchise was on commentary. Saban caught a quick roll-up, but Shane Douglas was really mad at Michael Shane that he lost. Which is, like, upsetting, A, because, you know, besides the fact that they lost the exhibition title in the unfair match type, as they said, they've been a pretty cohesive team and have also been pretty successful. (laughs) They won, like, the last two things. Yeah, so it would have made more sense for him to be frustrated if they had lost to Triple X. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like this is something that is only just starting to kind of come together and they're abandoning it. Hmm. I did appreciate that, like, Saban won with a flash pin, which is why, like, Franchise and Trinity didn't have the ch- or Franchise and Tracy didn't have the chance to interfere. Wow. Garrett says all women are the same. <laughs> you leave me alone. And then God, I mean... Your hubris comes back to bite you every time. Tremendous actor. Hey, how dare you. Play it off as if it was deliberate. You're basically it like Vince Russo. Working me into a shoot. Ah, uh, yeah. Brother. That's what everybody says who screwed no, up. No, you can't turn this on me. You can't turn this on me. They know. He's gotten to about it. It's fine. Just as gotten to as he is about the pain bow. Anyway, then Lollipop. <laughs> uh, shout out to Lollipop, by the way. I forgot what she did, but she reinvented herself. Oh, she had a new high spot. <laughs> yeah, she was dancing to the ICP music and she seemed very happy about it. <laughs> so was I. So the story here, franchise falling apart. Saban is your X Division champion. Triple X reunion, maybe on the rocks? Nah, I think we're going to get it. How dare you. They should be a team in the... The World X Cup. Speaking of X Cups, the only other story this month, as we mentioned, there is the America's X Cup coming up on February 12th. The format will be two singles matches, two tag team matches, and a a four-on-four tag team match. I think that's the format. I will confirm that in February. But it's Team AAA against Team TNA. The Team AAA is Juventud Guerrero, Abismo Dagmaro, Hector Garza, and Mr. Aguila facing the TNA team of Edith Skipper, Chris Saban, Jerry Lynn, and... Who's the last person on that team? Sonja Dutt. Sanjay Dutt, indeed. That's four and four teams coming up in the America's X Cup on February 11th. We did have a brief teaser for Team AAA, Hoovy, Abismo Negro, uh, Hector Garza, and Mr. Aguila faced Sharkboy, Chad Collier, Matt Stryker, and Eric Young in a four-on-four match this month and won quite handily. <laughs> USA, USA, USA. Eric Young's a Sharkboy represents the International Oceans. Don't think that should be fair for him to get the USA chant either. It's just a chant in favor of Chad Collier and Matt Stryker. <laughs> yeah, that is really big Ring of Honor fans. So before that match, Cash tried to recruit JB and JB kicked him out. And Tiny and Sarah, the, the ticket taker, also kicked him out. Um, my favorite part of that was uh, Cash like, all right, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. And then all of team, like, not Triple H just came to the defense of JB. Yeah, the, the wacky collective of Shark Boy, Chad Collier, Matt Stryker, and Eric Young showed up to defend Jeremy Borash's honor. Yeah. So yeah, Team AAA won. Hector Garza nearly died on a moonsault to the floor. Yeah, some crazy shit. Uh, Hoovy hit the Hoovy driver on Young. Mr. Aguil hit a shooting star for the win. Tri- Team TNA was watching on from the ramp. Then they came down after the match, shook hands with AAA to show mutual respect heading into the America's X Cup on February 11th. IWA Puerto Rico is shook. <laughs> they don't get involved in the America's X Cup. No. In fact, they never do. There's, there's UK teams, there's Canadian teams, but there's never an IWA Puerto Rico team. There's Japan. Mm. there's parts unknown which is team international that rules so that's your exhibition stuff for the month Chris Abram new exhibition champion Ultimate X2 cool match and America's X Cup coming up next month 
I don't think it was a banner X Division month, but I don't think it was a bad X Division month. It felt like they at least had some focus. Like they're getting a whole show devoted to themselves again coming up in in February. And part of the reason they do that is because I think they're cutting back on the number of live shows they do a month. We'll talk about that in February. But they're cutting back from four to three so that they can tape something like the America's X Cup and air it. But listen, they get a whole month. And Jerry Lynn is back. So that's that's a boon for the X Division as well. Now, Garrett. Yes. I have heard that uh, this mother is a bad jam. Beware. It's the remix. Well, you missed out the coming for you, but sure. Ah, it's co- I, n- I never remember the coming for you. Three live crew. So, tag division. It's the remix. <laughs> the, the month started with Tree Live Crew debuting their new song, including right, Garrett, slurs. get the lyrics out. It's going to be the second rap that you say uh, word for word. Uh, I'd rather not, please and thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> why is that? Because I posted it to the Twitter and I had to cut it before BG said some slurs. <laughs> Uh, how disrespectful. Not for the first time. On a wrestling show. The man just cannot help himself. You know? And he's trying to be like irreverent about how he delivers the slurs. It's like, oh, I'm saying the slurs, but we're still friends. Like, no, you can't just say slurs. I've, I've heard enough rap music from the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't even controversy about this one, by the way. It just They replayed it. They showed it again the next week. Yeah, this is truly nothing for this era. I'm surprised that they didn't do anything with 3LK and ICP. Apparently there was talk about bringing in ICP at first as heels to feud 3LK. Mm. But they decided they'd be better babyfaces, which is the reason they paired him with Disco and David Young. Beware. They definitely should have done a crossover concert slash uh, single. Of course, they should have They should have, um, They should. should have. just joined the jugglers. <laughs> Get Twisted there too. Oh. Who provided the the song for the Dawn of Callus against Eric Watts video package? I gotta admit, they they got the ICP guys unlocked. They should keep them because it's just nice having real music. <laughs> you and your love of Juggalos. Listen, I'm not even I don't even necessarily needed to be uh to be the Juggalos, but it's just nice to have actual music that isn't just like. Wom, 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 wom. <laughs> Are you suggesting that Triolive Crew's new theme song isn't real music? Well, they don't use that for any video packages, do they, Garrett? Hmm. Beware. So later in that show, Trio K defended the World Tag Team titles against Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger. The match existed. It was a match. Yeah, sure was. So the entire story this month is that the, the dissension between Johnny Swinger, Simon Diamond, David Young, and Glenn Gilberti continues. So David Young tried to come out, uh, interfere, but he accidentally hit Simon Diamond, which allowed Killings to hit a front suplex and win. Diamond then attacked Young after the match as Gilberti and Swinger pulled them apart. I, I like the Diamond Swinger stuff. Should we just incorporate all this together? Or Yeah, it all runs as one. So Diamond and Swinger's feud continues. They, they've they exploded. They're very mad at each other. So the f- next week they have what is called an, an internal okay, problems okay, Diamond match. Diamond and Swinger's feud with Glenn Gilberti and Young. Not Diamond and Swinger. Yeah. Well, it's technically... Is it also a Diamond and Swinger feud? But not yet. And not at this point, it's just... Diamond Swinger versus Gilberti and Young. Yeah, more specifically, it's Diamond against Young more than anything. Yeah, but it turns into the Gilberti stuff very quickly. Yeah, so there's an internal problems match on NWTNA paper number 77, January 14th, in which David Young defeats Simon Diamond with Glenn Gilberti as special referee. The whole idea is they're, go- they're going to have a match to solve their problems, and whoever loses is out of the group. Disco eventually hits Diamond with the chart buster, with his stunner, allowing David Young to pick up the win. Then Gilberti attacked Diamond after the match, and Swinger made the save. 
Terrible decision by Glenn Gilberti. Why would you side with David Young over the people who actually won the tag titles? Well, that's the entire crux of this program, isn't it? That's that's Diamond and Swinger's question too. It's like, what the hell are you doing caping for this dude instead of us, former World Tag Team Champions? Maybe they love each other. Maybe this is actually a very like nuanced romantic story. Maybe it is. And you know what? I'd be in, uh, in favor of that relationship between David yeah, Young. Yeah, I think and... that would be that would. Oh no. <sighs> Because you know who PG James is there. <laughs> oh no. Also, to be fair, would I ever condemn somebody to a relationship with Glenn Birdie? Maybe not. <laughs> I'm sure Glenn Birdie is a fine partner. <laughs> I have no reason to think otherwise. <laughs> Did you see the post that was on Twitter? It might have even been you. I don't think it was you, but someone made a post about how he was wearing the same suit during the like the re- WCW reboot <laughs> episode. Yeah, that was Eandro Dice Clay on Twitter. Yes, uh, what a great post that was. And then it was just the same suit as his main event run. And like, not even the same suit. It was the same shirt and tie. Like, the exact same ensemble. It was the same outfit. Three years apart. And the fact that he made a point to be like, look how expensive this, at minimum, three-year-old suit is when he showed up in TNA. It probably was expensive because he had WCW money at the time. It's true, he was loaded. So very, very much probably was expensive. That's the reason he's not swapping it out. So the next development in this story is that Glenn Liberty says the revelation that one of Diamond and Swinger has signed the Jeff Jarrett loyalty oath, <gasps> but he will not say who. I don't want him to split up. I like Diamond and Swinger. So that leads us to Diamond and Swinger against Young Liberty, Diamond and Swinger win. Garrett, why do they keep wanting to split up the acts that I like? <laughs> I don't know. Because they're like, we don't let tag teams be tag teams. We have to break them up, even though they're much better as tag teams than they'd be as individual wrestlers. As a, I think I mentioned on the watch along that I'd understand why you'd look at breaking up AMW because you look at Chris Harris and you think single star. I wouldn't yeah. do it myself, but I get it. But you look at Diamond and Swinger. I'm like better as a team than individuals. What are you doing? Yeah, I don't, I don't get this one. So, yeah, then they're involved in the last show of the month as handcuffed to each other, but they don't do much else. So there's your Diamond and Swinger developments. They're, they're Diamond and Swinger at, at odds. Gilberti whispered which one of them assigned the, the loyalty oath into Jeff Jarrett's ear, and Jeff Jarrett looked surprised. <laughs> that's, two, that's two options, man. I do at least appreciate that like Diamond and Swinger at one stage came to the conclusion that this is just mind games. You know, they're not that stupid that they think Disco's not trying to drive them apart with this one. But also, it's still lingering in the back of their mind. It's like, well, what if it isn't? Don't don't say that to me here. I can't take that. But I I do like that at least they raise the possibility. That's like, this is just Disco being Disco to drive us apart. What do you think, Garrett? Do you think it's a legitimate someone signed? Or do you think it is all mind games? I think it's all mind games, but the mind games will work. The other big feud this month, AMW feud with the red shirt security. Start of the, of the month, we the first match of the month, which actually happens 22 minutes into the first episode. A reoccurring <laughs> theme this month. I started keeping track. That's fair enough. The second show of the month was, I think, 24 minutes into the episode we had our opening match. So good, good fun show. Good month, TNA. Lots of rest. Total nonstop action. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the opening show of match of the month was Abyss and the Red Shirt Security against the team of America's Most Wanted and the Phenomenal AJ Styles. Yeah, it was, it was a match that existed. This was the only time in TNA history, Liam, that AJ Styles ever teamed with AMW. Wow, that feels like that'd be your like ultimate go-to babyface team whenever you needed to do it. They just rolled it out once as these two feuds came together as Styles and AMW, who, by the way, like when they do make their comebacks in this match, it's like, oh, they, these are the guys in this goddamn company. Yeah. 
It feels like this should have been something you went to more. Yeah. Also, just the, the like parade of theme songs where it was like Abyss's theme song, followed by AMW's theme song, followed by AJ's theme song. It's like, oh, TNA is here. Yeah. And then, of course, the Red Shirt Security. Where? 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 The siren in that theme song is so annoying. It's not even a good siren like the Scott Steiner theme song. You know, that's a good siren. No, but you don't want it to be good. You want it to be annoying because they're annoying. Some kind of annoying dinosaur. Let's just keep going way into the microphones. People would love that. Uh, this was one of those matches where AJ May just come back. And I'm like, why on earth was this man ever a heel? What are you doing? What was wrong with this company? Listen, I don't know, man. But Abyss and the Red Shirts pick up the win. Styles went for the Styles Clash. Jarrett ran in, dropped him with the NWA title, allowing Abyss to hit the Black Hole Slam. But that also sent Red Shirts feuding with AMW for the rest of the month. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so AMW faced the Red Shirt Security, second show of the month in a Rawhide Strap Match. Yeah, <laughs> Rawhide Strap. I like that name. Because the hide is raw and you strap people with it. Because it's dead bums. I found it quite fun that they did a, a spot here where I think Harris held the strap out and Storm whipped one of the red shirts into it as like a clothesline. Mm-hmm. And then Adam Cole basically did the same thing to Hangman with a chain on on freaking Rampage on Friday. Studying his tapes. He's watching his NWA. He's Adam Cole sitting down watching the shows, getting ready for the January 2004 episode of You've Got to Be Kidding Me. And he's like, oh, that spot's really cool. I should do that with something with a chain, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, you know, you find your influences where you find your influences. So Legend O'Connor rolled Harris, but Storm hit the super kick to reverse the O'Connor roll, allowing AMW to pick up the win in this Rawhide Strap match. <laughs> Just what a good name. I forgot to mention Disco was wearing an, an official NWA referee shirt in that internal problems match. Yes. Even though the official NWA referees don't wear a shirt that says official NWA referee on them. You just had to really emphasize it because people know the other ones would be referees, but they didn't know this one, of course. Mm. So the Red Shirts won the six-man tag. AMW won this match. So they did a rubber match, number one contenders match. AMW versus the Red Shirts on the third show of the month, January 21st. And a match I actually quite enjoyed. Yeah. I thought they worked like a good, solid, old-school Southern tag with good heat segments. Storm was isolated. Good comebacks. And then Red Shirts eventually picked up a win. I don't really care much for these Red, uh, red Shirts AMW matches. Mm. It's the Red Shirt problem in general, though, isn't it? They're just not interesting wrestlers in nearly any regard. No. <laughs> not at all. So Storm hits a dropkick and they start selling his shoulders. Storm suffered a broken finger and a shoulder injury during this tag match against the Red Shirts. He told friends that this, uh, the injuries he suffered were on separate suplexes, which is why he didn't wrestle the next week. Makes sense. Oh, man, broken fingers. Yeah. Oof. Well, I've never broken my finger, so I, I can't relate, but... I, br- I broke my thumb, but not... The actual thumb. It's a weird sentence. What? How did you break your thumb but not the actual thumb? Like, the, my thumb didn't, like, snap. Okay. It broke the bone that's in my hand that is a part of the thumb. Alright, fair enough. Harris hits a spear. He hit the catatonic on Northcutt, but the Naturals came out, threw powder in Harris's eyes, hit him in the head with a chair, allowing the Richards to win. Yay. And setting up one of the, the biggest tag team rivalries of the next two years in TNA, Liam, the Naturals in America's Most Wanted. I'm not into the naturals yet, but hey, maybe they'll they'll earn they'll earn it from me. Because as much as you have Triple X, as much as you have some like Team Canada or Styles and Daniels, the Naturals are AMW's generational rivals. Oof. You sound very enthusiastic. They have good matches. You'll be fine. Okay. Because you were too exposed to the hot shots having not good matches against AMW that you can't get excited for it. I understand, but the Naturals have some good matches with AMW. You'll be fine. Okay. 
I will go in there with an open mind. I'm like patting you on the head. It's like, everything will be okay. No, no, don't worry. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You're just going like, to be like, no, no, AMW is still there. AMW is still there. Don't worry. Redshirt Security became number one contenders, so they faced the team of Tree Life Crew for the World Tag Team titles on the last show of the month, beating Tree Life Crew to become your new NWA World Tag Team champions, Kevin Northcutt and Legend, the Redshirt Security. They did not beware. They were not beware of Franchise, who came out for no reason whatsoever and hit BG with a chain, allowing the Redshirts to the win. There was questions, it's like, oh, is this Jarrett Franchise declaring his loyalty to Jarrett? But that is an open question going into next month. We'll have to wait and see. So yeah, the worst team in the division are your tag champs. <laughs> hey, you, you seem to love the Redshirt security now, so I thought you'd be excited. No, they got a good heat segment in AEW, so it's AMW. <laughs> There was one other 3LK segment this month where they sat in front of a screen and did Mystery Science Theater and a bunch of tag teams. I don't like the Mystery Science 3LK shtick. Because mostly it's just them going, Ah, these guys are gay! <laughs> yes, it, it pretty much is, yes. So it's like... And like, uh, just like 50 different wa- ways of going, Hey, this guy's gay. For all of the tag teams. Yeah. Including women <laughs> on the show. And the other tag team thing this monthly, and we've talked a little yes. about it already... The debut yes. of the Insane Clown Posse. Yes! So we have the fans in the crowd, because there was actually rumours they were going to debut earlier in the month, but it got pushed. But the fans heard they were debuting, so they actually just showed up. They showed up, and then disappeared for a week, and then came back. Yeah, so Juggalos were there for the first show of the month, gone for the second, and then back for the third, because the third is when Violent Jane and Shaggy Tudop showed up in the crowd to get into Jeff Jarrett. Get it? Whoa. Yeah. Didn't know that was a part of the show. Then, the next week, we did have the formal introduction of the Insane Clown Posse, where Mike Today introduced Violent Jane and Shaggy Tudop, and they had, honestly, a very wholesome interaction. The reason that Violent Jane and Shaggy Tudop do all this stuff is because they're big pro wrestling fans. Yeah. Like, giant pro wrestling fans. So... They clearly have a respect for it. And Mike Tanae's like, I'm a cool hip kid. <laughs> and big fans of Mike Tanae, especially. They're like, Mike Tanae's the bomb. The ICP, we respect Mike Tanae. Mike Tanae, you're the best. Mike Tanae's a juggler. Whoop, whoop. They are trying to win me over. I feel like Mike Tanae's reaction to the jugglers, which was like slightly uncomfortable, but encouraging, is probably would be my relationship with the jugglers. Yeah. Like you'd have no reason to not like the jugglers, but... I'm not cool enough to be like, yeah, I'm one of you. I'm not. Please, please treat me nicely. <laughs> Violent J cuts the promo. He's like, we watch TNA every week and they have a lot of bomb-ass wrestlers and dope talent. So we're going to start hanging out in TNA. We quit the business of music on Wednesdays. Only Wednesdays. And we're going to start coming to TNA. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to find out like different juggalo facts for you. Sure, let me finish recapping this segment while you look it up. Go ahead. So they begin to recap their confrontation with Jeff Jarrett, which brings out David Young and Glenn Gilberti wearing some sensational shirts, by the way. Yeah, that was, that was some good stuff going around. So Disco's like, listen, you did that to Jeff Jarrett, but we can let bygones be bygones if you sign this loyalty pledge and join Jeff Jarrett. And Violent Jay and Shaggy Tudor were like, loyalty pledge? Hell no. Brawl sets up a match next week between the Insane Clown Posse and Disco Inferno and David Young. Hmm. Insane Clown Posse were friendly to anyone who approached them, but did their best to stay out of their way while backstage. There were plenty of pot jokes at the hotel following the show when word spread that the rap duo was booked in room 420. <laughs> That's the weed number. Alright, what, what do you got? Give me some, some Insane Clown Posse facts. Alright, so here are some notable jugglers. Mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Good for him. Vampiro. There is a lot of notes that I didn't include about Vampiro doing insane interviews and shoot promos during this period wait what that were so off the rails 
that even the ICP stopped booking him. <laughs> God damn. Uh, Might need to look at those after. <laughs> I think the main fact was that they were like classified as like a gang at one point, and then they filed a lawsuit against the FBI about it. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, they withdrew, I think, at some point. But they were like, can we please stop being called a gang? <laughs> Just a bunch of pals who like music and Fago. <laughs> and we threw rocks at Carmen Electra that one time. That seems rude. It was. <laughs> it is National Juggalo Day. What day is it? It doesn't give me the day. It's truly, <laughs> it's truly like, I, I'm, I was really offended by it. I was like, that doesn't even tell me when, when is Juggalo Day. Look it up. I'm going into the, the citations to find out when Juggalo Day is. February 17th. Ah, we missed it. Juggalo Day. We've got to take a moment to thank every single Juggalo and Juggalette out there for making the 2012 Juggalo Day on February 17th bigger than we ever could have imagined. We had reports rolling in from all over the world of ninjas who were celebrating celebrating and words can't even express how fucking dope that is. Sure, Juggalo Day may be an everyday thing. We sport our hatchet men all the time and don't ever stop being Juggalos, but it was cool to have one specific day where we could all come together, scream our love for the fam as one, and have another excuse to get our party on. Once again, thank you to the Juggalos and Juggalettes that made Juggalo Day something more massive than we ever could have hoped for. We can't wait to do it again next year. I would also like to thank all the the Juggalos and Juggalettes out there. Thank you. If you're listening, hey, hey, Juggalos and Juggalettes. Liam's one of you. To the Juggalos and Juggalettes. (laughs) There's a... The Dirt Sheet is your one-stop shop to get all your latest dirt and grungy news on your favourite JCW All-Stars. This month we introduced some JCW heavyweights and we found out some very interesting shit. Check it out. Garrett, I'm going to give you a couple names and you get to tell me who you would like to hear from. Okay. I'm going to give you two because there's two here that I find extra funny. Would you like to learn something from Rhino? Or from Rob Conway. Rob Conway. Why do you like working for JCW? I like the intensity and the energy of the fans. The opponents are great and the juggler atmosphere makes it fun. What would your dream match be? Me versus Big Violet J or tag with him and Shaggy against anyone. So the stars. He wants to be involved with the stars is what he's saying. What is the, What was your least favorite match of your career? Losing to Ric Flair in I'm When I Had the Chance to Win the Intercontinental Championship with all my family watching. There's actually a, a note this month that they also thought about adding Slash to the, the Juggalos. So to like be that the wrestler. Rude! He, he was, the, the idea was that he would be the wrestler to carry the, the, the work rate of the matches. Rhino uh, got asked what your, fa- your most embarrassing in-ring moment was. It was losing to Raven is just plain embarrassing by itself. Well, we'll get to that in TNA history. <sighs> all right, that's all the tag division stuff for the month. You will have the ICP against Disco and David Young next month. I'm, I'm loving it. Don't sue us, McDonald's. That is all our notes for the month. Let's quickly go show by show, Liam. January 7th, 2004, NWA TNA paper number 76. Do you have any notes? Just that so the Juggalos were there, man. And they were, you, they were going off. You, you enjoyed the Juggalos? And no. Not as not as a crowd. <laughs> I like the way they were showing Jeff Jarrett in his office when he was talking to the lawyer. There was like a close-up of him as WCW champion while in the NWO. Yes. Uh, one note I did have is that they added Ron Killings to the NWA wall. But not Ken. <laughs> <laughs> he might be on a bit that just wasn't shot. I did notice that too. It's like, oh, well, Ron's there, but Ken isn't. He could be on a wall that just wasn't caught by the camera. But yes, I I, I wanted to make note that they did add Ron after our disgust at, at Ron's uh, not being included. If you look very closely, you'll see Dale Oliver is playing guitar during the Trio K song. I did notice this. Someone on Twitter mistook him for Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I've had that happen too, Dave. Don't worry. 
During the Abyss and Red Shirts against AMW and Styles match, Abyss hit his signature charge in the corner, and because the Ultimate X was there, it literally shook the Ultimate X. <laughs> which rules. made me think of like a really cool spot where, that they could have done an Ultimate X, where say like if you had like an Abyss in the match, where someone's climbing the cables and Abyss just runs into the corner to charge, cause it to shake and cause the person to fall. That would be cool. Garrett, who is your 2003 Babe of the Year? I say Sonny Siaki. Mm, I'm going to go with Abyss. Mm, good babes. Solid babes. Very funny that they just showed that old babyface video package for her. Yeah, literally just pulled it out from like two years ago. <laughs> so there you go, show it again. Uh, something that TNA will become quite fond of doing, just using old footage and playing it again and hoping no one notices. There was a video package before Ultimate X that was like, what makes TNA different from the rest? Welcome to Wrestling Reinvented. Welcome to Ultimate X 2. It was all very dramatic. Mm-hmm. That's all I have for that show. You got anything else? Nope. January 14th, NWA TNA Baby number 77, the debut of Randy Savage's Be A Man theme, which, by the way, we'll do a Patreon review (laughs) of Randy Savage's Be A Man album probably sometime in the next two weeks. We'll probably record it with Ring Cat King, so it probably will, will be the week after next. Someone who notoriously doesn't give a fuck about music. (laughs) I am simply analyzing the the lyrics and themes of randy savage's music mm-hmm. uh, now that one of the songs is officially tna canon i mean i'm excited i quite liked shane douglas calling his match against skipper old school versus new school because the walk the ropes brana is actually called new school <laughs> very good mm. because the undertaker is the old school and he's old <laughs> well you can't say that he puts it in the name of his move <laughs> no, he's just doing an old school move, you know, walking the ropes. Why does he call that old school? I don't know. Maybe it was an old school move. Maybe I just don't know my wrestling history. Maybe. Here we suck. Franchise was doing a delayed vertical suplex on Skipper and he very nearly dropped him. That match was scary. He ended up doing like a front suplex and I really don't think he meant to. <laughs> yeah. Crowd like came alive for most of the tiny segments this month, to be fair to tiny. The Kid Cash stuff was pretty hot, and especially when, um, I forget her name. What's the name of the merch lady again? Uh, Sarah. Yeah, when Sarah would come out too, they would get into it. They liked the the Kid Cash versus non-wrestler stuff. Mm, Sarah Lee, the ticket taker. I guess because, like, she's the ticket taker, Tiny's the bellkeeper. They probably know Sarah pretty well if they're the asylum regulars. So it's like, oh, look at Sarah kicking ass. Oh, probably not because they just all walk in at this point and don't even have tickets. <laughs> it's true, they all get in for free. But there is a, a moment where she sneaks up behind Kid Cash and just hits him on the head with a broom. Yeah, it was great. It's a good moment this month. NWA TNA period of review number 78, January 21st, 2004. You got anything else from there? If you think about it, Don Callis and Johnny Fairplay is basically Don Callis and Kenny Omega. In that they both have curly hair? Yes, and they're both blonde. (laughs) Cool. That tweet did very well for me. You don't pretend like that's not a funny observation. Oh, listen. uh, I don't see it. Um... (laughs) Poor Punk had a very bad time as a straight edge guy this month. Yeah, you know, that's what happens when you bring the straight edginess into wrestling, I guess. <laughs> Sandman just spits beer in your face. Yeah. Of course, uh, notoriously, you are straight edge because of CM Punk, your favorite wrestler. Uh, yes, of course. Me and my love of CM Punk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't say in a podcast that you love CM Punk and then go, me my my love of CM Punk later in the same podcast. I do actually. I like CM Punk. I think he's great. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> I do. I think he's like consistently the best thing about AEW TV. I just didn't like one match, okay? Why do you hate CM Punk so much? When Johnny Fairplay pulled up to the building in the car, there was a bunch of, like, women in this car with him. Yes. 
And Don West said the line, That's some babyage right there. <laughs> what a dork. I love him. <laughs> also, poor Glenn. He's nowhere near as jacked as he was last year. Hey, man, let him be. He's not in, like, bad shape, right? He does look bad, but he's not, like, comically the rock-sized. <laughs> he looked fucking fantastic for a while there. He was huge for a while. Yeah. And last show of the month is the show we did the watch-along for, NWATNA paper number 79, January 28th, 2004, which you can listen to now at patreon.com slash gettingmeyourteenagead.com. Any more notes? I did like that all of the nerds came out to Shark Boy's theme, proving he's the yes. biggest star in that match. Yeah, he's the face of the company. Yeah. Give me a shell, yeah. The only note here that we haven't touched on was that Scott Hudson has been praised by a number of wrestlers over the past few weeks for the way he conducts himself backstage. These wrestlers say Hudson takes the time to go over promos with talent, which helps them come across better on television. He's a pro! Yeah, and honestly, I think you do see that. Like, all of the pre-tapes are all, like, professional. They all have a purpose. They all, like, even if they're just, like, there, even if it's, like, we go backstage for somebody for two minutes, it does feel like they're prepared and feel like they're actually, like, prepped properly. Because Scott Hudson is a pro. He's great. When Disco was shouting at uh, the ICP, Violent J said, Tell him, Glenward, tell him! Yeah, I like that one. And just to reiterate, Don West called Goldilocks a whore. <laughs> yeah, a whore. When she whores herself out to Don Callis. Uh, have you ever thought about the way JB says Michael? I have not. When he's introducing Michael Shane, he's like, Michael! Michael Shane! He never says it just like Michael. He can- Michael. Michael! Michael! This is bad content. This is the third hour, baby. Yeah, this is the death rose of the podcast. Where we're right at the end where we run out of things to say and we're about to end the show, but we haven't quite ended the show. So that's it. That's January 2004 in TNA. We'll be back in two weeks with February 2004 with the America's X Cup and other such and Terry Funk. So you already know two cool things that are happening in February 2004. So you can look forward to that. The watch-along of NWATNA baby number 79 is in your podcast feed right now on Patreon, so you can subscribe there at patreon.com slash me or tnachad.com to listen to that. You can also listen to our 2003 TNA draft, which I won because I'm superior. You can listen to our 2003 TNA end-of-year awards, so you can hear what we gave rest of the year, match of the year, babyface of the year, most disappointing, most pleasant surprise and best gimmick you can listen to all of those awards and tag team of the year all over there on patreon as well as latest episodes of rain takers latest episodes of ring cat king and coming in the next two weeks a review of randy savage's be a man yeah as i wanted to say uh rain takers was new japan cup 2012 with a damn good carl anderson against hiroshi tanahashi match yeah we go in deep on carl anderson in that one we talk about tanahashi and the Godo final, we talk about Godo's position in the company, we, we delve around. It's basically just us uh, talking about how good 2012 New Japan is. So patreon.com slash getting me or tnhad.com for all of that. You can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney, you can follow Liam on Twitter at the Gleet Muda, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at TNA History Pod, where you can slowly get us to a thousand followers. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the YouTube. And bye-bye. Bye! <laughs> I didn't think!